Blog Talk Radio. harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human being, human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond. Love beyond. Your skin to where you belong. Take it down. What the nonsense you owe? It's all about. 
to you, African history and inappropriate behavior. That's our theme tonight, like always. We're going to speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. We're going to critique a video that can be found on YouTube titled Dr. Claude Anderson on inappropriate behavior and this whole question of general empowerment. We'll be taking that video later. But before we do that, like always, we have political panelists and analysts who will be speaking about what's going on in our world community. And then we can talk a little bit about the question of African history, African history month. Then we will go into the appropriate thing, which is really African history and inappropriate behavior. That's the order of our agenda today. We encourage you, as always, if you've got any views or comments, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. Hit 1. We acknowledge your last four numbers. So, like always, let's get started with this party by introducing you, our political panelists and analysts for today's program. First, we'd like to bring in Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is <clears throat> Haki Kamathi Mishoki, currently with African Awareness. But you know, I've got to tell you about Africa. 
you know, the more I think about it in terms of the uh, requirements in terms of bringing about a movement, the more I, be, the more I realize just how intricate um, the requirements are in terms of moving people forward. One of the biggest obstacles in terms of moving people forward in terms of movement is the role that psychology plays in terms of the lives of human beings. Uh, the state is in a perfect position in terms of creating a perception, or at least molding the perception, in the mind of people who are, who's, uh, who's, whose perception is not necessarily in the best interest of humanity, but certainly serves the interest of those in positions of power. So coming at this unconscious impact uh, in terms of you know how big, how uh, information is uh, plays itself out, we're somewhat uh, handicapped in terms of our ability in terms of really impacting people on an unconscious level. The best we can hope to aspire is to reach people on a conscious level. But the problem is that the social condition is much deeper than the conscious mind. It goes to the unconscious mind. So without institutions to create, uh, you know, uh, the kind of manure, that kind of uh, way of life, which impacts the unconscious, it's sort of tough to get people to understand the necessity in terms of mass movement, in terms of bringing an end to this whole, this wholesale insanity. But anyway, Brother Africa, I wrote this bit about, you know, psychology and the role of, of, in mass movements. Because I think it's relevant, um, you know, that we have this discussion. Now, I, I would I would caution that you know, this discussion is, is somewhat um, abstract, and to the extent that I can, I will try to make it much more concrete in terms of you know its implications. But I think I want um, I want people to listen very very closely in terms of what I have to say with respect to psychology, because this is not new information in terms of um, you know psychology, but I think it's something that for whatever reason we don't discuss a lot. Uh, among us, you know, who are fighting to bring about um, bring about a, a real mass movement in the society. But in any event, Brother Africa, check this out. Uh, Jason Holden's article, Slavery in the Age of Ego, is a well-conceived article about the Western enslavement culture. The thesis examines culture that's pervasive and committed to the debasement of humanity ultimately culminating in death and destruction globally. Much of this destruction of life and our planet is achieved by shaping human perception, utilizing ego manipulation through media sources. Desired perception is achieved by impacting both the conscious mind, thoughts with reason, and the unconscious mind, thoughts you have no control over, using institutions to reinforce ideas favorable to the state. The conscious mind, shaped by experiences, education, or social conditioning must be rendered useless, and this is achieved by media repetition that espouses desired ideas. The unconscious mind, which encompasses thoughts, feelings, situated on a blank slate, can best be impacted by shaping perception in a manner most are unaware of its impact. Now, in order to better understand the effectiveness of shaping human perceptions, it should be noted the functioning of the human brain was cataloged hundreds of thousands of years ago, prior to the development of the nation-state. Ancient African societies, prior to the emergence of Kemet, conceptualized the inner workings of the human brain, according to Edward Bynum in his book, African Unconscious. Characterizing the human brain as possessing two qualities, brain function was classified as optimum, or primary functioning, and suboptimum, secondary functioning. Optimum functioning, the conscious mind, and suboptimum functioning, the unconscious mind, compare African traditionalists to view the world, humanity specifically, as forces of creation or spirituality, uh, not beings of creation. This distinction is relevant in that Greeks and Romans later in history 
embraced evolutionary energy in the human body. In other words, humans were autonomous. Relationships with other humans were deemed irrelevant. Germanic tribes, either the Visigoths, the Franks, or the Vandals, dismissed the metaphysical dimension of creation while elevating notions creation is based upon solely on materialism, that which is tangible. Philosophically, the implications of dismissing a mentor or the human consciousness as ancient Africans understood it meant human connectivity could be severed and the possibility of genuine humanity curtailed. Any understanding of the oneness of humanity would, of oneness of humanity would be sacrificed, ushering in existence of the continuous continuation, continuous perpetuation, and perpetual, excuse me, continuous perpetuation of war and destruction. At this point, it is germane to talk about the perils of science and ego manipulation and its impact on a human ego and its benefits to Western political elites ruling over nation states. Westerners' condition with notions of superiority and hubris mistakenly believe it is the destination of the West to rule the world. Accommodating such grandiose thinking requires an ego of grand proportions. However, in deconstructing such an ego, the basis of such manufactured ego does not rely on strength, but more on insecurities. Attempts by U.S. political leaders to prevent discussion on institutional racism, i.e. cultural race theory, or forbid the objective teaching of U.S. history in the beard to whitewash, no pun intended, history, indicates the level to which political leaders are willing to deploy deception to conceal truth. And in further, are creating an ego shape specifically to carry out the interests of the political. Facilitating, facilitating grand illusions in the minds of people is easily achievable. But problems arise when constructed identities come face-to-face with informed information that directly challenges those human perceptions that are socially engineered. The ensuing frustrations are only amplified when the internalization of faulty perceptions are put to the test by intelligent inquiry that exposes the limits of social conditioning. Compelling the targets of states' actions, their views are indefensible when scrutinized on a conscious level. Realization of what many perceive to be rational in the process of discourse turns out to be lies. It is likely, as the coping mechanism means, many of the targeted group may result to drugs and or alcohol in an attempt to blunt feelings of consciousness inadequacy, resulting from a social process that handicapped the target group socially. Of course, the state response would be an attempt to assuage or soften the anxiety of fragile egos who, on a conscious level, come to the realization they've been manipulated. Now, while assaging anxieties or egos of the political right, the primary target of social engineering, residual effects of ensuring the targeted population embrace the desired ideas promoted by the state inadvertently have been embraced by many on the progressive left. Western social conditioning seeks to employ specific platitudes that resonate with the ego. Defined as ego drive, their intent is to legitimize values, behaviors, etc., consistent with the interests of the powerful. Materialism, for example, is widely espoused and endorsed by many people. Materialism complicates alliance to humanity. Through the lens of materialism, the idea of class engenders considerable respectability. By relegating or embracing class primary, we do a disservice to both the legitimacy and the continuity of revolutionary change for two reasons. One, psychologically, we inadvisably get credence to the notion humans can be classified based upon superfluous indicators like yearly, yearly earnings. Secondly, in post-industrial society, with the emergence of the gig economy, 
Finding employment commensurate with ideas of social standing requires much diligence, if at all possible, of obtaining. Given this narrative, the implication being the implication being pursuit of revolutionary change would only dampen the prospects of finding a good job. The bottom line is unconscious reinforcement of social economic status validates the maintenance movement from a purely psychological perspective. Seeing humans from the perspective of humanism renders class analysis unimportant in that socially prescribed platitudes like lower, middle, and upper class cease to have relevance, which consequently prevents progressives from falling into the trap of unconsciously legitimizing the compartmentalization of humanity. Of course, observing the ill treatment afforded those without status in society can be sobering. The natural inclination is to avoid this particular by obtaining status for yourself. And choosing not to consider social conditioning on both a conscious and conscious level, we inadvertently compartmentalize humanity and in the process legitimize status, making us more aware of status, not less, which is specifically the intent of the systematic manipulation of feeding the ego by political systems specifically when employed by capitalist systems. And for on that note, Brother Africa, I'll close. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we will go to Brother Anthony. We would like to welcome him going to move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thank you for having me, Brother Africa. Our revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. You can find out more about our objective and our history by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thanks for having me once again. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And following Brother Anthony, we're going to bring in Brother Moses. We'd like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice and I vote. Women hold up half the sky. That's why I support the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-S. And uh, the struggle continues to be to unite the many, to defeat the few. And uh, we need a revolutionary theory to guide, as a guide to action. We need uh, tried and true theory. And uh, hopefully... We will study, 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 and turn ourselves into scientific socialists. Thank you. Thank you, Rose Moses. And one of the sisters, the sky, we're going to bring to you at this point in time, Sister Eleanor, and we're going to welcome her to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. 
Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you so much for having me. Good evening, everyone, to my fellow panelists, to our listening audience, and to you, Brother Africa. Mm-hmm. A good evening. And this is a wonderful time, at least this is a time when we look at uh, black history. And uh, we see that this week, Brunswick, Georgia, is back in the news. Um, they convicted Amon Audrey's killers, and now the question will be, Will they recognize, will the feds recognize this as a hate crime, uh, the murder of Amon Audrey? So thank you so much for having me. And uh, um, equal rights include education, housing, health care, so many things. And uh, we struggle for equal rights, and we're struggling, as Brother Moses said, to educate the many to overthrow the few. Thank you so much for having me this evening. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, to our listening audience. I'm your host, Brother Africa, and our political panelists, the analysts, they are in the seat. They're going to take the heat. And, of course, if they find it, they're going to stand behind you. We invite you to come and join us as we move to our transition, what's going on in our world and community after this revolutionary culture break. We'll be right back, and this is... Africa on the move. Niggas are scared of revolution. But niggas shouldn't be scared of revolution. Because revolution is nothing but change. And all niggas do is change. Niggas come in for murder and change into pimping clothes. They hit the streets to make some quick change. Niggas change their hair from black to red to blonde. And old black hair and looks will change. Niggas kill other niggas just because one didn't receive the correct change. Niggas change from men to women, from women to men. Niggas change, change, change. You hear niggas say, things are changing, things are changing. Things. Black nigga things that go through all kinds of changes. The change in the day that makes it rotten and made black power, black power, and the change that comes over them at night as they shine moans. I die. Ooh, I die. Niggas always going through bullshit change. But when it comes for real change, niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are actors. Niggas are actors. Niggas act like they're in a hurry to catch the first act of the great white host. Niggas start to act like Malcolm. And when a white man doesn't react to them like he did Malcolm, niggas want to act violently. Niggas act so cool and slick, causing white people to say, what makes you niggas act like that? Niggas act like you ain't never seen nobody act before. But when it comes to acting out revolution, niggas say, I can't dig in action. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are very together people. Niggas talk about getting high and riding around in hells. Niggas to get high and ride to hell. Niggas talk about pimping, pimping that, pimping what? Pimping yours, pimping mine. Just to be pimping is a hell of a line. Niggas are very together people. Niggas talk about the mind, talk about my mind stronger than yours. I got that bitch's mind uptight. Niggas don't know a damn thing about the mind, but they be right. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas fuck. Niggas fuck, fuck, fuck. Niggas love the word fuck. They think they're so fucking cute. They fuck you around. The first thing they say when they're mad is fuck it. You play a little too much for them. They say fuck you when it's time to TTB. Niggas are somewhere fucking. Try to be nice to them. They fuck over 
for you Niggas don't realize All they're doing all this fucking They're getting fucked around But when they do realize It's too late So niggas just get fucked up Niggas talk about fucking Fucking that Fucking this Fucking yours Fucking masters Not knowing what they're fucking for Ain't fucking for love and appreciation Just fucking to be fucking Niggas fuck white side Black side Yellow side Brown side Niggas fuck angles When they want dollar side Niggas fuck Sally Linda and Sue And if you don't want out Niggas will fuck you Niggas will fuck fuck If it could be fucked But when it comes to fucking For revolutionary causes Niggas say fuck revolution Niggas are scared of revolution Niggas are players Niggas are players are players Niggas play football, baseball and basketball While the white man is cutting off their balls When a niggas play ain't tight enough To play with some black guys Niggas play with white guys To see if they still have some play left And when they know white guys to play with Niggas play with themselves Niggas tell you they're ready to be liberated But when you say, let's go take our liberation Niggas reply, I was just playing Niggas are playing with revolution and losing Niggas are scared of revolution Niggas do a lot of shooting Niggas do a lot of shooting Niggas shoot off at the mouth Niggas shoot food Niggas shoot traps Niggas cut around the corners and shoot down the streets Niggas shoot sharp branches at white women Niggas shoot dope into the arm Niggas shoot guns and rifles on New Year's Eve White police would do more shooting at them. Where are niggas when the revolution needs some shots? Yeah, you know, niggas are somewhere shooting this shit. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are lovers. Niggas are lovers. Are lovers. Niggas love to see Clark Gable make love to Marilyn Monroe. Niggas love to see Todd and fuck over Nato. Niggas love to hit a long range of high hole silver. Niggas love commercials. Niggas love commercials. Oh, how niggas love commercials. You can take niggas out of the country, but you can't take the country out of niggas. Niggas are lovers, are lovers, are lovers. Niggas love dear Malcolm Rap, but they didn't love Malcolm. Niggas love everything but themselves. But I'm a lover too. Yep, I'm a lover too. I love niggas, I love niggas, I love niggas. Because niggas are me, and I should only love that which is me. I love to see niggas go through changes, love to see niggas act, love to see niggas make them plays and shoot this shit. But there's one thing about niggas I do not love. Niggas are scared of revolution. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. 
must prepare and learn how to care for soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. And made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Light is clear. Oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. We're back. This is Brother Africa from Africa on the Move. Today is the 6th of February, 2022, and we're speaking to you as we continue to celebrate so-called African History Month. We recognize not only every month is our history, but every day we practice things our history. So what we're going to do today, we're going to speak long, but we're going to speak strong. We're going to speak to the powerless and the powerful. And we have a panelist who are not scared to talk to talk and walk to walk. So right there, we're going to invite you to come and join them by calling 323-679-0841. We're going to discuss what's going on in our world and the community. And right now, we're going to bring in our brother, Haki. And we're going to ask him the question, Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? The mic is yours. Well, Brother Africa, more corruption in Washington, D.C. Recently, it was revealed 54 members of Congress failed to report their stock trades. Now, according to the Federal Stock Act, formerly called the Stock Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act of 2012, the law stipulates that lawmakers must divulge any information pertaining to stock trades uh, uh, for themselves or for their family members, just in terms of some kind of transparency in terms of financial dealings, you know, among lawmakers. Well, of course, the bottom line is that these 54 lawmakers refuse to abide by that particular policy. Uh, and the reason they give for not abiding by that policy is that, you know, they, they easily say, there's an ignorance of law, which is ironic, given the fact that ignorance of the law is never an excuse to commit to, to to violate the law. Or they'll say clerical errors, or they'll say they count to make some mistakes in terms of the transaction. But even when these lawmakers are actually um, confronted and they're actually exposed that, in fact, they did fail to, to, to con- divulge information in terms of stock trades based upon inside information you know, from, from congressional records, uh, the penalty is often, uh, if any, $200. Now, in the, when you talk about a body of individuals who are multimillionaires, $200, $200 fine is like the equivalent of a, a dime to you and me, to you and I. Uh, clearly, there's, there's something fundamentally askew here. Now, one of the leading uh, candidates who opposes the uh, Federal Stock Act is Nancy Pelosi. Now, Nancy, of course, is the Democratic House Speaker. She's the top Democrat in the, in the U.S. Congress. And recently, she made a statement where she talked about the fact that the U.S. is a free market economy. And her position is that denying lawmakers the right to make money is unethical. In other words, her position is her self-interest, her ability to make money, is more important than transparency, ethics, or integrity in politics. That is very, very interesting. We need to think of that one a little, a little bit. Now, according to uh, Eve uh, Otterberg, a journalist, after that very speech, she and her husband brought stock options worth millions of dollars in CRM, Walt Disney's, Google's, and Roblox. Now, in terms of stock options, so people are clear in terms of what we talk about when we talk about stock options. Now, stock option is a contract between two parties who gives the buyer, in this case, Nancy Pelosi and her husband, the right to buy or sell stocks at a predetermined price within a certain time frame. Now, in the event that Pelosi, her husband, decides to sell the stock, She's paid a premium on those stocks from all buyers interested in buying stock. So in this, in this context, it's a win-win situation for Pelosi and her husband. Even if she doesn't sell the stock, 
she can keep it herself. Uh, so either way she wins, it's a win-win. So there's no there's no possibility of loss. So she has take, she stands to 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 win to gain a tremendous amount of money. Now apparently Pelosi purchased a a, a, a call option. Now make a distinction between the call option and the put option. But she purchased a call option, which means that she expects her and her husband expect that the stock market uh the stock stocks that make up her contract will rise in value. Now, interestingly, the question arises, now, why would she be optimistic that stock prices will, will rise according to her uh, call options? Well, here recently they passed the, the Compete Act of 2022. Now, suppose this is an act to compete against against Chinese, against China. Now, in, the, in this act, the government will provide subsidies of $52 billion to manufacturers to produce semiconductor chips. Now, here's the thing. Now, in terms of chip manufacturing, the United States only only manufactures about 12% of all chips in the world, Asia about 80%. Now, with this new law, given that these manufacturers in the U.S. are going to receive $52 billion, they are creating a market in the United States in which they will compel other corporations to buy these chips. Now, the reason these chips are so valuable is because everything depends on chips. When you're talking about computer technology, whatever, you need those semiconductor chips. And so, and so as a consequence, and the, the value of these chips will continue to rise. And uh, so when we think about in terms of, you know, this, this, this narrative, we got to consider that, you know, as these chips rise in value, the stock prices will also in, in, in rise in value. So what we're essentially saying is that, you know, Pelosi and her husband stands to make tens of millions of dollars on, these, on this information she obtained, you know, in, in the congressional, uh, congressional meetings. So it's certainly understandable why Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats, and certainly a lot of Republicans, would, would disagree with the Federal Stock Act. Because the whole notion that there's money to be made in Washington, D.C. in terms of political realm is very, is, is very, very real. And this kind of wholesale corruption, even though there are, there are the Congress people who are opposing uh, this kind of corruption in, 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 in Washington, the bottom line is that the overwhelming number of uh, politicians, be they Republican or Democrat, oppose any type of scrutiny when it comes to financial dealings and kind of corruption that takes place in terms of utilization of insider information, particularly congressional insider information, solely for the purposes of prospering. So clearly, Brother Africa, this kind of corruption is wholesale, is, is, is viable. It's not going anywhere. And the mere fact that um, the, the, the body cannot hold itself accountable speaks values in terms of this propensity to only find multimillionaires $200 fine if, in fact, they are caught not, uh, com, you know, you know com, uh, purveying or, com, excuse me, conveying uh, information pertaining to the, uh, the, uh, the uh, of, of financial, uh, financial statements that, uh, that they, that they, uh, that they list, uh, you know, on, a, on a, whenever they, uh, or, 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 excuse me, financial obligations that they file every time they make these, these trades in terms of the stock market. So clearly by the Africa, this kind of wholesale corruption, this kind of uh, malfeasance uh, is pretty much part and parcel in terms of how Washington works. And so anybody who thinks that they're there to serve the interests of the masses of the people um, are sadly mistaken. Thank you, Brother Haki. We next will make our transition to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community? Okay, uh, Brother Africa, sadly, uh, there was another uh, African victim of a no-mount warrant 
uh, this this past week, uh, this time in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, a brother uh, was uh, w- w- was w- was killed by the police when they served a no-knock warrant on him uh, for, uh, for, 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 for a crime that he was not even charged with. I do not call the brother's name off the top of my head, but uh, he had a gun, and he had a license to carry the firearm. And uh, he was, uh, he was, uh, and uh, there was a video of him being shot to death by this policeman uh, because, uh, you know, when that, when they, uh, when they uh, 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 broke into his residence, he apparently was asleep at the time. And uh, he um, he had reached for his gun, and he was and he was shot to death. Uh, so uh, this uh, this is similar uh, to what happened to Brianna Taylor uh, about a year or so ago, when she was uh, uh, when uh, police. Uh, you know, uh, stormed her house with a no-knock warrant uh, in in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. So again, uh, we uh, uh, you know it's another case where uh, Africans trying uh, you know to uh, to defend themselves are are the victim of police violence. And uh, unless we get organized, uh, this is not going to stop. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we make our transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Moses. Like um, Brother Anthony said, there was a shooting in Minneapolis, and uh, the righteous indignation of the people that taking them to the streets once again uh, to protest police violence. Uh, we find that uh, things have not, we don't seem to be learning the lessons. We don't seem to be getting sensitive uh, to the to the needs of of blacks people uh, in terms of justice and uh, the right to to due process of law. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Trump is still whipping up his, his supporters, uh, trying to influence the midterm elections and uh, trying to get back into the White House. Uh, we, we have to oppose all all demagoguery and expose it for what it is. Uh, also, the uh, the coronavirus uh, continues to spread, and uh, we hope the people are, are are more conscious now of how deadly this virus is, and 
are willing to do the necessary steps to to avoid death. Uh, I think I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we're going to come to our sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, as uh, both Brother uh, Anthony and Moses mentioned, there was another shooting. And what's shocking about that shooting is the police entered the unit with a key and they saw someone sleeping on the couch and they kicked on the couch. And the young man did have a gun, but they didn't ask him to put it down. They, they, the, the video has been all over the media. There was nothing said, and he was the the police started shooting and murdered this man. So we are seeing uh, the gross insensitivity to the the black community and uh, gross insensitivity to citizens. Um, that that uh, this type of uh, violence and 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 is constantly being portrayed on 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 the people. Um, I'd also like to mention the United States doesn't have an equal rights amendment for women. We talk about it, but it's never passed. As did not the two voter bills that are sitting in Congress the John Lewis bill and the freedom to vote bill, neither have those passed. So we are seeing the country become much more conservative and now more than ever uh, the fight is on, but we have to fight against fascism and fascists like Donald Trump and the, uh, and the people that are following Donald Trump for lack of information, misinformation, and conspiracy theories. And we now reach 900,000 dead in the United States from the coronavirus, Brother Africa. 900,000 people have died. So it is time for us to wear our masks, wash our hands, and those that are... um, Waffling. I mean, some people have made a decision not to to uh, be vaccinated, and that's their right. But there are others that are confused, and I think we should talk to our neighbors and medical professionals in the community, like Howard University is doing and other institutions, doing outreach, going into the community to help people make a decision as to whether or not this vaccine is appropriate for them and their families because right now we're dying from a failure to be vaccinated. So uh, the struggle continues, and it really is a struggle to educate the many to defeat the few. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, this has been a a trying week to see another African-American dead and uh, the level of suffering that our people are enduring. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. This is Africa on the Move. We're in a seat. We're going to take the heat. 
As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. What we're going to do right now, we're going to a Revolutionary Culture break, and when we come back, we will, we're going to continue some discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back, and don't you go nowhere.
Welcome you back to Africa on the Move. I'm Brother Africa, I'm your host, and like always, we may not give you what you want, 
we're going to try to give you what you need. We will continue the discussion on what's going on in your world and the community, and we invite you to call in at 323-679-0841. If you have any comments or you'd like to share what's going on in your world and your community, please hit one, and we will acknowledge your hands for our numbers. Brother Haki and the rest of the panelists, I can start off with you. I'd like for you to respond to um, this recent phenomenon of how you felt about how they dealt with Whippy Goldberg on The View when she made a statement that the Holocaust was not based upon race, but more so based upon inhumanity among inhumanity. She stated that um, for her perspective, when you talk about this question of race, she saw those who called themselves a Jewish race as not separated from the race of people that it belongs to when the geographical area they call Germany. And when has society started taking definitions defined by Hitler as a scientific legitimate definition? And what is your response to this phenomenon in terms of not only did they uh, put pressure for her to retract her statement and apologize, but also gave her a suspension of two weeks off of her program? What is your general response to this particular particular phenomenon, Brother Hackey? Well, Brother Africa, you know, uh, knowledge is a very dangerous thing, uh, particularly in the context of a capitalism system which is in decline. Uh, What Whippy Goldberg essentially was saying is that, you you know, Judaism is not a religion. It's not a people. It's a way of life. So in that context, anyone who wants to be Jewish can be Jewish if you simply adopt the traditions and the norms of customs affiliated with Judaism. It has nothing to do in terms in terms of color. Uh, so what she, what she was essentially saying, that when you look in terms of the, the, the Holocaust that transpired, uh, um, you know, uh, in Nazi Germany, uh, if you want to talk about color specifically, well, certainly when you talk about the gypsies who are much darker in color, then certainly there is a, the racial aspect in terms of the kind of genocide that was inflicted upon the gypsies in, in Germany or even the Africans who lived in Germany at that time. But when you talk about people coming from, from, from Europe, when you talk specifically Germany or Poland and stuff like so forth and so on, in the context of what we, can, what, we can, what we conventionally know as European, they qualify as European. So they, the religion aside, when you just look in terms of the phenotype, in terms of the way they look, then you put, associate them with, 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 um, with, with Europeans. But what happens is that by, by, by Whippy Goldberg making that statement, she exposed the fact that, you know, this hypocrisy around this question in terms of what constitutes, you know, uh, what constitutes a Jew, you know, becomes, becomes a very legitimate question. So in the case of, like, Palestine, when you have, you know, those, those Jewish individuals who have a long history in terms of practicing Judaism who are oppressed in Israel simply because of the color of their skin, that's a legitimate expression in terms of racial preferences being utilized for the sole purpose of diminishing or oppressing another group. But it's, it's based upon color, those things which are observable. Uh, the same can't be said with respect to when you talk about when you talk about um, uh, when you talk about white folks coming from Europe who practice Judaism. So clearly, Whoopi Goldberg, as a woman who happens to be Jewish herself, she's intimately aware, you know, that Judaism is not a color; that Judaism is a way of life. So I think the mere fact that she exposed that um, encouraged the wrath of a lot of people who want to promote this notion that somehow. 
uh, Jews are not, they're not quite people of color, but they're not quite white either. They're somewhere in the middle. That's apparently absurd. Uh, the whole point is that, you know, we this, this notion in terms of color as it pertains to Judaism has to be discarded. If we're going to talk about the origin of, of, of Judaism as a religion, as an institution, then we have to go back to Ethiopia in terms of understanding the origin and the spread of, from Ethiopia throughout the world of different Jewish groups in terms of their practice of Judaism. So this notion in terms of color becomes irrelevant. Uh, you know, but, but so I think what Whippy was saying was that we need to have this much, much, much deeper discussion in terms of what really constitutes Jewish and get away from this question in terms of somehow – you know, uh, you know that um, that um, that uh, being to be a, exclusively to be Jewish is to be to look, you know, phenotypically to look like you're, you're European, and I think that's the point that got her in trouble, because she dispelled this notion that that, that that these white people out of out of Poland, out of Germany, who look European, uh, who call themselves Jewish, she's exposed this notion that in fact that when we get down to the question in terms of Judaism, it's not damn, it's not a question of color, it's whoever wants to be Jewish, and I think. That was that's essentially what got her in trouble when she made that 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 dichotomy, in terms of you know uh, you know what it is in terms of to be a Jew, uh, you know in the world. So I clearly I think that uh, you know age, I mean knowledge is a very dangerous thing at this point in time, and so people got a vested interest in maintaining certain kind of stereotypic views uh, in terms of things because it served their interests. But Whoopi Goldberg essentially um, uh, sort of a, a, a shine she shined light on. The, the, the irony, the real hypocrisy related when we, when we talk about what it is, what Judaism really represents. Thank you, Brother Hockey. Brother Anthony, your take on this phenomenon. Yes. Um, what Whoopi Goldberg did was, um, you know, uh, was uh, smash one of the arguments that Zionism uses to justify its occupation of Palestine. And uh and uh and uh that uh that knowledge devotion that knowledge is dangerous because what it does is it is it takes away one of the uh one of the arguments Zionists use to justify the occupation of Palestine. The fact that Jews are a distinct race, as opposed to Judaism being a religion, you never hear talk of a race of uh, Muslims or a race of Christians. You only uh, hear that argument in the context of Judaism, and that plays into the hands of the uh, of the Zionist forces who want to maintain control over uh, Palestine. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that's why it's so dangerous because it, uh, it undermines the motives of designers who have a lot, uh, who have a great deal of political power in capitalist countries like the U.S., and other uh, capitalist countries in uh, Europe, et cetera. And that's why she was attacked, because any time you make any criticism of uh, or observations about Judaism that work against the interests of the Zionists, 
you're going to face extreme political and or economic pressure from them. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, talk to me. Yes, indeed. We are once again in a rising situation. Well, I'm not sure where to start. Um, Do you think the criticism was a fair criticism or attacking her the way they attack her? Attacked um, While you think about it, let's do it. Let's go to Sister Eleanor and see if she if she has any thoughts on it. Sister Eleanor. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg got invitations to Israel and to different places to visit, and uh, <clears throat> um, it wasn't a. Uh, it didn't seem to be. Uh, her suspension for two weeks, we don't know whether or not that's without pay, her suspension from the view. However, uh, many uh, museums, both in Israel and around the world, invited Whoopi to visit, uh, apparently at their expense. So these vacations and opportunities uh, are... don't seem to be. I, I'm sorry, Brother Africa. Um, did you were you aware of the fact that she was being uh, offered invitations to Israel and uh, and and uh, to Europe to uh, learn and uh, explore the uh, the question of uh, of Judaism. Now, Judaism and Zionism are two different things, and I don't want to get them mixed up because Zionism is a form of racism and a form of apartheid, and I don't want to confuse that with being uh, being uh, Jewish. And uh, for a long time in my lifetime, Jewish people were not, uh, some Jews don't don't look like white people. They may be light skinned, but they don't look like the conventional Western European. And uh, some Jews uh, can pass, but I, 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 you know, this is a tough question. So uh, maybe if you could rephrase it, and and uh, I'll I'll try to answer. Well, one thing I think when you have the discussion, look at this phenomenon to all of the panelists is at least we've got to come to some basic understanding that uh, historically and scientifically speaking, we know there are no such thing as a Jewish race. So this whole normal, misnomer of trying to get people to conceive of that such a thing, that's a misnomer. That's what's causing part of confusion. But what I, but what I think is what, what's even more importantly, which is more important, and I understand this phenomenon is that you would suspect that one or the people should learn from their so-called past experiences. If you said something was done to you and you feel like it was uh, unjust and flick harm and dehumanize you, then why would you participate in another group of people um, dehumanization 
and treat them the same way in which you felt like you were treated that wasn't just. That is to say, we all can see what's happening inside of Palestine. Some call it the state of Israel, but we understand that you know, Israel was created in 1948, and it's, this whole area of Palestine been in existence for thousands of years. But we all know that, you know, at this point in time, um, the human rights violations and atrocities that are being committed against people from babies to adults across the board is, is something amazing, and yet the whole world has tend to turn their head like they accuse others who have done to them when the so-called Holocaust happened in Germany. So I'm trying to figure out how do you rationalize you want people to pay respect to your inhumanity or how you're treated back in, back around 1936 during the Nazi time. Why at the same time, you know, you're upholding, you're participating in the same type of genocidal process and mechanism of, of Palestinian people. I don't understand that, panelists. Can somebody make that, give me some kind of clarity on that brother, particular contradiction? Brother, contradiction? Brother yes, Africa, Sister Eleanor. I, I wanna, I'd like to, first of all, uh, Israel is a mil- military settlers, and Zionism, the racist concept of Zionism, was something that developed in, Paul, uh, in Poland, in Warsaw, Poland, in the uh, late 19th century. Now, the Holocaust was a a human tragedy, but what's happening in occupied uh, Palestine is another tragedy. And, and, And Brother Africa, I don't think we can compare the two. The, the death camps in, in Germany and, uh, and, and, the, and the gassing of, of, of citizens was an outrage, a true, true holocaust. However, it does not justify the uh, annihilation of the Palestinian people. Um, they have just uncovered uh, the mass grave in, in occupied Palestine along a beach under a parking lot when they were doing some work of where these babies and women and, and children and men and elders were just mowed down in 1948. So there's no... Sister Eleanor, what do you think is... Talk to any Palestinian. You ask them what is life like today inside of their home, Palestine. Tell me what is the fundamental difference between the conditions the so-called Nazism that the so-called Zionists are complaining about and how the Palestinians are living. The fundamental difference. You tell me. Well, the fundamental difference is um, there is genocide in Palestine, the walls that they build, the separation of married people uh, under a certain age to prevent them from having children, this kind of racism is far more sophisticated than even than what we saw. The death camps were they they rounded you up in your community and they took you to death camps in 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 in, in your communities. Occupied Palestine. Palestine is a nation as you said that or a country that's been around and we read it in many 
books that have been around hundreds of years. What's happening to the Palestinian people is an outrage. The, the occupation, uh, the settler state, a military settler state, is allowing the annihilation of Palestinian people and has done so since its inception. So the fact that I, I separate the uh, genocide of, of the Nazi era and 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 what's happening in Palestine doesn't mean that the Palestinians aren't experiencing uh, a great atrocity. We just saw last May in 2020 just uh, the bombing and destruction and the isolation of the Palestinian people. We saw their entire supply of vaccines destroyed. We, we saw this with our very eyes. We saw men, women, and children being murdered for no apparent reason. And if you talk about the little rockets that uh, one group, one military group is shooting over at Jerusalem, uh, they don't compare to the military equipment that the Zionist state is using and it is an occupied state, Brother Africa, and it is a great human atrocity of the 21st century. It is outrageous. We don't know what's happening in Palestine right now today on February 6, 2022, simply because in 2021, the media uh building was knocked out. It was completely destroyed by a bomb, Israeli bombings. So the bombings and the murder of the Palestinian people, the the murdering and occupation of Palestine is an outrage, and all righteous people stand up against the apartheid of, of occupied uh, Palestine, often called Israel, by Western countries, There's, it 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 is outrageous. These people are being annihilated. They have been annihilated. Their population is shr- shrinking as a result of constant combat, war, genocide, apartheid, the walls, the checkpoints. It it's just. The world has. So, Delano, can you close your like your, your point in about thirty seconds, please? Okay, yes, thank you. The, the world has not seen anything as outrageous as what is going on in Israel, uh, in a in, in a settler state or any other state before. So, I just wanted to say the uh, the Holocaust was a, a true atrocity, but it's no justification for the occupation of Palestine. There's no reason for the occupation of Palestine. If the Jewish thank people you. needed to move thank somewhere, you, and I used to say Thank this, you, Sister okay, Eleanor. Um, thank you. We want to consider it. We do have welcome. a panel. So there's a little more conscious of, of time factor. Um, Father Afnis, in, in terms of the so-called moral outrage, of one sensitivity towards towards people who may have been victimized during the Nazi era, but while at the same time there are no sensitivity towards one's behavioral role 
in the genocide process that took place in the Congo, place in the Zion, South Africa, in the past and present, that is taking place now in Palestine and other places of the world. These same forces doesn't recognize that humanity of people being genocide. Matter of fact, many of them is even participating in a part of that genocide process. Where's more high ground that these forces have when it comes to attacking people in sensitivity toward their so-called plight in history? Uh, none. As a matter of fact, there's no high ground. Uh, the Zionist movement is a political movement that started in Europe in the late 19th century, as uh, Sister Eleanor correctly pointed out. And uh, and uh, the Zionist movement, uh, you know, the founder of the Zionist movement, Theodore Herzl, had contempt for people that practiced Judaism. He held them in contempt. And uh, a uh, a lot of people are confused about this issue. But uh, 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 Judaism is a religion, more correctly called Hebrewism, that has been around for a couple of thousand years. And it started in Africa. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, the, the, there are forces of exploitation that use the Jewish religion, Zionists, to justify their greed and exploitation of the resources of the world. As indicated, Zionism is a political movement. And uh, they uh, they control a lot of the information that's put out by the imperialist media, which is why you don't hear about the mass uh, uh, killings of Africans in Congo, Zania, South Africa, and other parts of the world. And uh, you don't hear a lot about the information about the atrocities that um, Africans in the diaspora are subject to because of their identity. And, uh, you know, and it's because, you know, that's something we have to dig for for, for ourselves. So uh, 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 they're, they're, they're completely separate movements just like uh, you know, Ku Klux Klan forces utilize Christianity to justify their uh, terrorism against Africans and other uh, ethnic groups in the U.S. Zionism is similar in that respect. Is the basis for yeah. your more high ground that one form of oppression is 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 is, is should be given more weight than other forms of pressure, particularly when you're competing or, or you have a relationship or maybe being um, in association or collusion with these other forms of oppression that you feel like was wrong against you, but you don't see the contradiction and you're allowing it to do it against other people. Your response. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, Brother Africa. There is no, there's no degrees of injustice. This notion that you tried to concoct 
some regional justification for terms of injustices seems to me bizarre, uh, extremely bizarre. Uh, you know, by um, by uh, Sister Eleanor's uh, view, uh, certainly what happened in uh, in Rwanda with the with the Tutsis and the Hutus certainly uh, is, is 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 doesn't uh, according to her logic, it doesn't um, measure quite equally to what transpired in Nazi Germany. I find that very, very bizarre, uh, very, very bizarre. But let me say, just say this, Brother Africa, just to cut you to quick. You know, um, one thing we have to understand, you know, is that a lot of this history that we that we presuppose objectively exists, a lot of this history is very, very suspect. Uh, there was a Jewish activist by the name of David Coles. And so a lot of the information we get about about uh, the, the Holocaust, he refutes a lot of that information. It makes one think. So when you can think about in terms of the the the, the 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 ability of Western states to concoct uh, narratives and to make those narratives real in the minds of people, then certainly if 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 if, if the West can do that, then certainly what's going to stop the Zionist element, you know, among the Jewish populace from doing the same thing? So clearly, David Coles has a real problem in terms of a lot of the statistical numbers that they have in terms of deaths resulting from you know, from the from the Holocaust. So there are a lot of assumptions that we make, uh, and maybe you know we got to go back and re-examine a lot of those assumptions because a lot of stuff that we believe transpired in Nazi Germany wasn't as grave as, in to the extent, uh, not to the magnitude that we're told it was. So I just say that, and I leave that to people to find out for themselves if they want to know more about, you know, uh, David Cole's assessment in terms of this whole question in terms of the Holocaust. Uh, but clearly, Brother Africa, uh, that when you talk about the kinds of uh, systematic uh, abuse, of systematic destruction aimed at the Palestinians, it, of course, it's is, is geared toward achieving an impact over a sustained period of time. It's not immediate, and there's no question about that. But over time, it's going to be just as devastating in terms of the, the, the aspirations or the longevity of a people as, you know, as immediately putting people inside the concentration camps or killing people, you know, wholesale. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, there is, there is, there is you know, uh, it is problematic when you think about if you've, got, if you've been telling the world that this atrocity has been happening to you and you turn around and commit the same atrocities to, to another people, then that is, for me, is problematic. That is not to say that you don't have people who are Jewish, who are really Jewish in a, in a religi- religious sense of the word, who really believe in Judaism, who believe in the, uni- the unity of human beings, who fight against Zionism. They do exist. So that's not my point. My point is that those leading advocates for the Zionist movement who speak on behalf of Israel, who take a position that what they're doing to the Palestinian people is right and justifiable, cannot be morally sustained. There's no way in war it can be justified, no matter what you say. There is no degrees in terms of injustice. Uh, what they're doing to the Palestinians is criminal. There is no getting around that. Uh, but just, just to close, Brother Africa, I'll simply say this. One of the things is that when, 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 when you have a situation where, 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 you, when you, when you, on one hand, you feign uh, concern about what happened uh, to, 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 to your people, uh, but, on, but, on the, but on the other hand, you turn around and, and exact the exact same, the same methodology in terms of destruction of a people, then what that tells me is that this notion in terms of what historically happened to your people wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't uh, wasn't as problematic as one would think. The only way you can justify in terms of carrying out a similar kind of treatment is that 
you, your perception has to be that what happened to your people wasn't it so wasn't wasn't that problematic, and so therefore you feel justified in terms of carrying out similar kinds of treatment toward uh, people uh, people that you that you suppress. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know all of this. None of this makes any sense, and, that, and it's no justify it's no justification for it. And clearly, you're right. There is no degrees of in, of suffering or injustice. Injustice suffering is injustice suffering. It's amazing to how they respond to their concerns and attack other citizens, individual, and the lack of response you know the African community has when it relates to a member of their community being attacked in that manner. It's really amazing. Clearly, it shows the status or the state of our this organization and powerlessness. But brother Moses, you've been listening. Um, are there any things you'd like to say as regards to this particular area, Brother Moses? Are you with us, Brother Moses? Okay, we're yes, we'll come um, back. Um, I think Whiffy Goldberg, you know, uh, you know, is, was uh, on her prim, 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 fundamental thesis was that it wasn't racist, you know, and that's that's problematic because you know. Nazi Germany was racist to the core. Um, the final solution was racist, and and uh, you know so so you know on that score, you know there is a problem uh, in terms of her perception of what's happening. Uh, uh, and I agree, there's no degrees of uh, injustice, and in, you know that that the Israeli government is is committing the same atrocities against. Palestinian people that they endure, supposedly, well, some of them, and uh, and it's it's a real, real problem. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses. Panelists, before we make our transition to our theme tonight, there's one more issue I'd like to get y'all um, take on as relates to what's going on in our world and the community is the community of sports, the National Football League. Now, recently, I was a coach, um, Brian Flores, who was an African, who was coaching football for a professional team named Miami Dolphins. He he was given the opportunity to coach them no more than about three years. Uh, it was a bad organization, a bad team when he came. And for the last two years, he developed them into being a winning franchise. But recently, um, the owner made a decision to fire him. It was not based upon his performance, but more so according to his allegation that it was based upon he refused to be unethical as it relates to the game of sports. That is to say, he would be offered to throw games and be paid $100,000 per game. And this was affecting sports so they can get a high draft choice. He will offer to interview and, and have dinners, dinner appointments with other professional athletes who was already under contract to try to recruit them away from another team. There are many ethical things they ask him to do. He refused to do it. As a resort, they did miss him. Now, he felt like the only recourse he had was to bring a class lawsuit not only against this particular football team, but also the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, other football teams who are not taking the so-called Ronin rule that states that 
when you have opening for a coaching position, head coaching position, at least you must at least interview one or more African coaches. But anyway, now there's a, a seem to be a a, um, a a organized response against him, um, stating that uh, whatever allegations he stated were false and never true. And I'm just wondering in terms of one lesson, seems like we have seen this before, because um, that was the African coach that Hugh Jackson for the Cleveland Browns. He said he was put in a similar position where he was going to be given more money, a bonus at the end of the year for having a bad record. And he referred to the owner to not to do that, but to take that money and invest in better players. But it seems to be happening only to African coaches, given the fact that out of the 32 jobs in this particular Football league, you only have no more than one or two African coaches. Brother Anthony, I let you start off here. What you make of this particular dynamic that's going on now between the lack of hand African coaches, the treatment of African coaches, and this allegation that this coach is acting, this owner is acting this African coach to throw games. I think what is happening is that. Um, is that NFL ownership is like a club, uh, and it's a very exclusive uh, club. All the owners are Europeans, uh, to my knowledge, uh, and uh, and uh, most of them prefer people that they're comfortable with. That's one factor. Another factor is... Uh, is the uh, is the racism that runs rampant it seems in the NFL there seems to be very few career options for uh for Africans once their playing careers are over uh it seems to be limited to uh broadcasting pretty much or some other occupation if they're prepared for it. But there are very few African coaches in the NFL to this day. And I think that's why Brian Flores launched this class action suit against the NFL. It is not only against the teams he worked for or interviewed with, but the entire league. Uh, for uh, for for discriminatory practices, and I think that's why he launched it because um, it seems like because of their ethnicity, Africans are being excluded from coaching opportunities in the NFL, even though that uh, they may be as well qualified as their European counterparts to do the job. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Hockey, as we discuss the subject matter, let's not forget that we were recently sued by Kaepernick against the NFL, which he won and admitted to that was organized conclusion um, against him. But at the same time, they still never gave a chance to return back and be able to compete for a quarterback position. What do you make of this phenomenon, how they deal with this um, particular coach and the behavior of this owner and in the NFL as an institution? when it comes to hiring African coaches, Brother Hockey? 
you know, Brother Africa, you know, it's it's all about it's all about dollar bills. At the bottom, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the money. Uh, one of the things that's so problematic about this is that you know Brian Flores is absolutely correct. One of the things that if in fact he would have took the hundred thousand dollars for every game he lost, uh, he would have been recognized as one of the, one of the worst coaches in the league. And given the superimposed race upon that, then certainly that would qualify for him not to be able to find a job as a coach. So he was between a rock and a hard place, you know. So he he he's not in a position to you know uh, to to play ball like that. But as far as the owner's concerned, you know, it's it's all about the dollar bills. And so if you can get a player, a relative, very good player, relatively cheap, then that's you know then that's then then there is no ethical considerations. These people are capitalists. They're, these people are hardcore capitalists, and you know everything's is expandable. Uh, if you can use black coaches, uh, you know, um, you know, you know, for your, to, to benefit you, uh, all the all the better. Uh, they don't stop and say, well, listen, you know, given the fact that there are very few African uh, African coaches in the NFL, I don't want to contribute to that deficit, so I'm not going to put that kind of stipulation on, a, on an African coach. They could care less. In fact, they're more inclined to put a stipulation on an African coach because the African coach is perceived as expendable. Expendable. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, you know, uh, you know, Brian Flores, he, he did the right thing. But, you know, the bottom line, Brother Africa, I think African players, which is 78% of NFL, Listen, you, 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 you know, collectively, you got the numbers. All you need is a consciousness, a willingness, or understanding in terms of why things have to change. You have the power to force some changes. You have that power. But for some reason, these guys make a little money. They're complacent. Well, most of them. I'm not all of them. Some of them are very conscientious. But for the overwhelming number of NFL players, they're, they're complacent in terms of where they are, and they're not willing to rock the boat. And I'm seeing to me with that kind of mindset, you know, uh, given the fact that you got a natural monopoly in which you can really innovate some real change, and because of your, your your state of mind which says that, you know, your self-interest is more important than at all, you you fail to even understand that over the long term that you hurt, you you, 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 you penalize those who come behind you. So what your know, stance that you take, this, the lack of stance you take today doesn't end with, doesn't end with you. It ends with people behind you. So at some point, then you can we can anticipate that you know the the you know in terms of the ability to actually find you know quality players in NFL, that's going to become very very scarce because the more and more the emphasis becomes on the money, then the less then the more expendable uh, the needs of the players becomes. And so therefore, it seems to me that you got a players got a, a vested interest in terms of organizing, getting together, and doing those kind of things to preserve their long term interest. Even after they're long removed from the game, uh, but clearly, Brother Africa, you know, the, a lot of the blame has to go with, with the players because it's no makes no sense. We get some maybe some players who are African, you know, and you, you know, all you have to do is address, recognize what the issues are, address what the issues are, and as far as Kavanek is concerned, you know, even though the, you're right, even though the NFL acknowledged the collusion that took place with respect to Kavanek, uh, there has not been a single owner who's been penalized. Or you know, in terms of fines for the the ill treatment that they afforded cabinet. Clearly, you know, in terms of the workplace, I mean, that was a real violation in terms of the workplace. And then for these people to collect their work together to deny one of the best quarterbacks in NFL the opportunity to perform, big values in terms of just how pervasive racism is in the NFL. So clearly, I support Brian Flores. I just wish 
there were more and more Africans in the NFL, players and coaches alike, who said enough is enough. It's time to take a stand. But that's, I'm just wishful thinking. I'll close with that, Brother Africa. It's unfortunate that the brother was taking a stand. He would never get another coaching job on top of that. Um, like you stated, we have so many Africans who are in the institution. Again, we all bow down to let each, each one of us be pick off one by one. Sister Eleanor, talk to us. Well, well I, I'm glad yeah. the brother bought, uh, took uh, legal action, and, of course, he will not work again. But he may change something. Here we have only – I thought there were only two black coaches in the NFL. There's some black assistant coaches, but uh, I, I wasn't aware that uh, of the 50 or so jobs that uh, more than two of them were held by uh, black people. But definitely he took a step to stand up and take legal action, and, and this is the way to go. And as uh, Brother Haiki said, there's been no penalty or no action taken uh, for the NFL against the, what they did against uh, the uh, Habanat, the 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 quarterback, or anyone else, any of the other atrocities that we've discussed in the uh, last few months, and this random firing and pay inequity, this pay inequity uh, uh, that the NFL seems to practice. They have one pay schedule for blacks, another pay schedule for whites, and and as uh, Brother Akeem also mentioned, a majority or 70% of the players are black. So this whole thing of, well, this is the best-paying job you get, you better be quiet, needs to really change. And as I mentioned before, they need to de- to develop their own uh, their own union and legal representation for the players and the coaches. You know, there should be some kind of collective uh, uh, action. And to uh, – just to backtrack, you know, in my discussion of uh, of the atrocity of Zionism and its being apartheid, it doesn't mean that I'm ignoring uh, what happened to the Tutsis or the Biafran War in the 60s or what's happening in Yemen today or the starvation in Afghanistan there are many atrocities going on in this world right now, and it's up and on you provide a forum for us to discuss them and I thank you for that, but at no time am I uh ignoring uh what's going on i I would say that Israel uh with that uh Pegasus uh that software that they have. Uh, look what an atrocity they're committing, helping happen in Mexico and other places, and uh, and I see that uh, the U.S. bought a, 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 a bought it and it's allegedly sitting a version and it's allegedly sitting in a, a New Jersey office and we've decided not to use it domestically, but the CIA used it uh, in the Middle East, so. You know this 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 Zionism 
is a, a, a terrible thing because the CIA bought a copy of Pegasus uh, from, uh, uh, you know, what do they call those uh, uh, those organizations? I forget the acronym, Brother Africa, but it's an Israeli product. NGOs? And, uh, NGOs? In, um, NGOs? I, I don't think NGOs. Uh, NSO group. It's it's an NSO group. It's not an NGO. It's an NSO group. And uh, the uh, Mexican government bought a Pegasus from an NSO group, uh, the Israeli startup that created it and used it to supposedly catch El Chapo. But we can see they've done more than that. They've used it to assassinate political dissidents and journalists. And we see that the United States used uh, Israeli Zionist uh, 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 equipment, uh, bought a copy of Pegasus for uh, Djibouti to assist it in, quote, combating terrorism, despite the country has a record of human rights violations, including torture of dissidents. So we, we have to be careful, and I don't want to be misinterpreted when I uh, spoke about Whoopi Goldberg and and the atrocity that's happening in occupied Palestine. This this nation has been occupied now for decades, and the world is turning its back. And people are making agreements, including Saudi Arabia and other countries, because they want access to Pegasus to recognize Israel as a state. It's 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 it, we are really. Uh, in a very troubled time in this world. And uh, we see where uh, Bahrain uh, also, I believe, was using uh, Pegasus. So uh, we we really need to uh, combat Zionism and not confuse the two and know that what is happening in Israel, uh, what is happening in occupied Palestine, is is just an outrage not to ignore what happened in Rwanda with the Tutsis and the horrible amputations and the things we saw through Brother Africa. I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Lenore. And for the record, I think we are not refusing Zionism and racism. Uh, it is what it is. But anyway, Brother Moses, talk to us. Your take on this question of Brian Flores, the African football coach, and the predicament that he found himself in, himself in as of today. Brother Moses, in the comments. It seems that they're using the um, the, the uh, rule that they should interview a uh, minority uh, candidate, and they use that just as a formality, and they they basically just bring them in so they can say they brought them in and they had no intention of actually interviewing them or considering them for the job. But that's, that was one of his points. Uh, and um, certainly he's talking about racism within the NFL and and, uh, and the lack of job opportunities. Uh, um, and it's, it's quite, it's quite uh, uh, plain and blatant. Uh, anybody, you know, who can, Look at the statistics and look at the records and of the coaches, and uh, it's definitely a problem there. Uh, 
and he's documenting it and uh, and pursuing the 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 class action suit, rightfully so. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And before we make our transition to our theme tonight, African history and inappropriate behavior, uh, panelists, I would like to just quickly get a response for each one of you around this whole concept of a no-knock warrant. Understanding the level of state-sponsored terrorism that is taking place within the oppressed communities inside the U.S., what is the rationale of creating the concept of a no-knock warrant? doesn't seem like you create more of a possibility of more complications. So not only innocent people getting killed, but people have the right to shoot first, not knowing what's coming through that door. Brother Haki, what is this no knock one is all about from your perspective? Well, the, the, the logic behind it is to increase the, 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 the overall sense of terror in the, in the communities, particular communities of color. Uh, one of the things that uh, they understand is that terrorists tends to petrify people. Uh, and if you can keep this overall this aura of terror, then you must it's much easier to control people. So this notion in terms of that your door could be knocked down at any time has a very chilling effect, and that's precisely what they want. And but you're absolutely correct. And you know, one of the problems is that when you break down somebody's door like that, you know, and they don't have a clue what's going on, they just assume somebody breaking in their home, and they shoot. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's, even though that's justifiable, the bottom line is that it's still going to be used as a pretext to not only, to, if they don't kill an individual who fired the shot, at a very minimum, to beat them up and to, and to incarcerate that individual long periods of time under the guise of shooting at law enforcement. So clearly this is part of a fascist strategy, and, and this is something that African people particularly uh, have to be very, very concerned about. Uh, we don't have the luxury of saying, you know what, it's not my concern, I don't care, you know, or well, maybe the, the person who home was invaded uh, deserved it. Whatever your rationale may be, the bottom line is that this could really affect any of us. Uh, so clearly, you know, we, we you know, listen, if, if we don't do something in terms of org- serious organization in terms of funding these issues, then the bottom line is that these kind of uh, tactics are not going to dissipate. They're going to, and on the contrary, they're going to actually increase. And so we have a vested interest in terms of waking the hell up and understanding that this is a war, whether we understand it's a war or not, that we're in a war. And, uh, and because it's a war, you know, uh, there, will be ca- uh, there will be casualties. And most of the casualties are going to be uh, inflicted upon the community. So we better wake up and understand the, the nature of the beast. Brother Anthony, is this another tool as the state view the people as the enemy to the state, particularly um, oppressed communities? Yes. I would say that is so. Uh, keep in mind the uh, uh, the brother that was uh, uh, that was uh, killed was uh, had a license to carry a firearm. First of all, and also he was not uh, he was uh, he uh, he was an uh, an intended target in the sense. That he uh, that he was not the suspect of any crime, and uh, he was the uh, he was a victim of uh, of uh, mistaken identity, you know, in that sense. And uh, you know, and this uh, and this remind r- reminds me so much, very sadly, of what happened to Breonna Taylor. 
she too was not a, a, a natural suspect in any crime. Uh, she, uh, you know, she was, uh, you know, her, uh, her, her uh, when, when the police uh, entered, uh, uh, entered her apartment, uh her 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 boyfriend uh pulled out and got a shot and she was and uh she was killed by the police and uh you know and uh until we get organized uh you know uh to um you know uh to better uh politically educate and uh protect ourselves uh, this is going to keep happening to us, and uh, it's uh, you know it's very uh, very tragic, and uh, but it's symptomatic of what's been happening to us uh, for many years since we've been in this hemisphere. You know, brother Anthony, Anthony, when you look at the behavior of the police officers, you will see there's a uniformity behavior when it comes to these so-called cases. Because, you know, recently, last week, there was a case in which, in Texas, I believe, where on a university campus, you had a European male shot two policemen and killed them. One was African police and one was European. But for some reason, though, they caught him and he get to live. They didn't kill him at all, even though he killed two of them. Yet, speaking to the cases y'all just, just, you just spoke to, how do you um how do you uh equate the two different responses based upon, you know, the end results? Here you have one this response, they just outweigh shoot somebody, claim a mistake. But there was African, but they had another response where two police were actually got killed. But the killer was a European, but he didn't get killed. He walked in alive. Uh, well, what that what that indicates to me is that police do know how to uh, restrain a person without killing him. It's just uh, you know a, a, a choice or knee jerk reaction or whatever you want to call it, where uh, where where Africans are more likely to get killed. By police than uh, the 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 Europeans are, and I think that reflects the low regard that people have for African life. Uh, that's what it tells me because uh, it seems like uh, Europeans that commit violence. You know, uh, are, are more likely to survive in a police encounter than Africans are. Since Eleanor, is yeah, this another example of a tool of oppression? As we talk about making laws, a no knock um, um, policy. Well, you know, you can have a will or you can have a legal document where you can come to somebody's house without making an announcement. What's, what's your take on what is the purpose of that and what that from your perspective, so tell them all? 
At this point, I I don't see any purpose for it, uh, Brother Africa. These no-knock warrants have been around for decades, and they are just another abuse of of our civil rights. And uh, what is, is a demonstration of is the increasing militarization of the police department. And uh, I, 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 I tell you that uh, um, we recruit our police often from, uh, from the military, former military officers. So uh, we're kind of reaping what we sow. We, we occupied uh, Iraq, invaded Iraq, and that was the first urban war where we went and knocked down people's doors in other countries and and committed all kinds of atrocities against them, and we now do it here to our own. But long before Iraq was invaded, it was a practice that was being used in this United States uh, against black people, these no-knock warrants. And they are uh, just a violation of uh, our civil rights and an example of our failure as a nation to protect basic human rights. And certainly the the sovereignty of your home is, and, and the privacy that you should in peaceful enjoyment of your home should be one of those those rights as a part of the whole concept of housing being a basic human right. So there's, there's, this is outrageous. These people aren't in prison. They're in their homes. This young man was asleep and and they entered with a key. And uh, Mm. it's just violence against the people, Brother Africa police violence against the people and and uh we need to see some uh some changes in in uh in our police departments we this militarization of the police is unnecessary and and the reality is if we're doing it to us black people don't worry it'll be coming to a community near you soon because it's not going to, you know, once you dehumanize, you've already dehumanized us. Keep in mind, the dehumanization of people is what, how this, this, this kind of totalitarianist society, authoritarianist society begins. Remember, Donald Trump wanted the National Guard to shoot demonstrators. So, yeah, this is just a civil rights and a human rights violation. Oh, no, Moses. It's both. What you weigh in on this issue of um, no knock on petitions, no no knock on policies of entering into people's homes. How you feel yeah, about this? This? Is just, this is just fascism, Gestapo style, uh, uh, SS, whatever. Uh, this is uh, has no place in a democratic government. Uh, and uh, it only can lead to abuse. I mean, that's all that happens. Uh, uh, 
Brianna Taylor, uh, it's, 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 you know, it's outrageous. And so, you know, they just bust in and start shooting. Um, it's just, it's, it has to stop. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. We're going to take a station, eruption of station break. And when we come back, we're going to make our transition to discuss our theme tonight. African history and inappropriate behavior. Um, we'd like to encourage you, if you get a chance, you should go to YouTube and check out this video by Dr. Cole Anderson on inappropriate behavior. Uh, this whole question of um, uh, how to uh, deal with this question of empowerment. We're going to have a discussion on this as it relates to African history one, and we'd like to have your input to this whole question of what is historically being defined as inappropriate behavior. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon. Passport Rev. Malcolm on Twitter featuring Napoleon Dumb Legend. Let's rock the bell radio. What if Martin had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it This integration been disintegrating Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation His last speech got him assassinated Black business was booming, who wasn't just a consumer Controlling our narrative, we have more marriages And see what the damage did, they ain't that bad a bitch And welfare did its way worse than the slavery I'll never be an agent, I don't care what they paying me Seemed like Nip had the same old story If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was the mystery Supremacy and go the extent to keep their history alive All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive Who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler Trying to fear people of that low vibe structure Agree to disagree and we ain't gotta tear our own down Argue in silence or forever be our own down All I wanna say is that we're giving it away Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake Argue with the silence, but don't let it seal our fate Right behind doors, but don't ever show our face Cause if Mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling Spill ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? Cause if Mom had Twitter, then Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling Spill ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? The key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man lay dead in the street today I must have bumped my head Landed in 1940 or something, I swear And all I have is love and joy to give I need to spread my wings I need to fly away I wanna get high today Who 
got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I wanna live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I'm march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. A negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote-unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or European. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans, the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negro. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon as your host of Africa. This is the 6th of February, 2022, and we are entertaining the theme tonight, African history and inappropriate behavior. That was a real interesting um 
video that we would suggest to get a chance go to YouTube made by Dr. Claude Anderson on inappropriate behavior. And um, it's really interesting, particularly since during this time of month we are talking about is so-called African History Month. It has some very interesting historical um, facts and references I think is worthy to be aware of. One may not necessarily agree with the final conclusion, but in the presentation of the story, it does raise many questions and issues. We'd like to talk a little bit about some of the issues that we share or that were raised in the video, and we'll do this with our panelists. And our emphasis is really to also talk about this whole concept of what is inappropriate behavior as it relates to uh, an oppressed community. So right now we're going to bring back our political panel and analysts, but before we do that, let me make a couple quick announcements. Just to remind our listening audience that we want to remind you that from July 23rd to 31st, there'll be a freedom ride, there'll be a tour to Cuba, where they'll be traveling and visiting four provinces. One's in Guantanamo, one in Santiago, and other one Havana, the capital of Cuba. If you're interested in going please go to the website www.aaa-cubatours, Q-U-R-S, or you can call 804-549-7492 or 202-714-9435. Now, this trip is right around the corner, so you need to begin to act now and preserve your seat. And also, if you haven't purchased your book from Pan-African Roots, um, please encourage you to do that. You can do that several ways. You can go to Amazon or you can go to Napa Roots and purchase the book. So please do that. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to go to our political panelists and analysts for the day. We're going to talk about our particular um, theme today, African history, and inappropriate behavior. Looking at this film by Dr. Claude Anderson, Anthony, there were so many interesting historical um, history that was presented in his presentation. Uh, I would like to just give you some time now to take your time and just identify some of the points of interest that you would like to share with our listening audience. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Wait. Um, I think... Uh that he talks about uh, the title is African History and Inappropriate Behavior. He titled that because he seems to to think that our response to our oppression has been inappropriate. And it's not like uh, the way... uh, other uh, other human beings would respond if they were in a similar situation to us i think it i think it has some validity and i think it i think it is due to uh you know our uh, our disunity primarily uh historically uh when the maafa started and that is the uprooting of Africans from, uh, from the motherland, uh, we didn't see ourselves as one people. We saw ourselves primarily as these different ethnic groups or, uh, or, or nationalities, or we might have had 
a certain amount of regional unity, but we did not see ourselves as one people. And that is reflected in terms of um, uh, uh, some of us colluding in, in our own oppression. And that is and that is a, a manifestation of the class struggle within our community. Uh, we did, uh, we did not uh, we did not see ourselves as one people with uh, you know one aim and one destiny, and because of that our enemies were able to divide us along ethnic, religious, and linguistic lines, as well as as economically, because uh, some of us, uh, you know, had, uh, had, uh, you know, were more, uh, more, had more economic wealth than others. And uh, we, and in short, uh, he's saying that we div- we divided ourselves along these lines, and that and that caused a failure to unify against a com- uh, a common enemy, a common exploiter. So I think this reflects, uh, you know, the class, the et- the ethnic and class and religious divisions that exist in our community to this day. Brother Aki, your take on this particular um, presentation by Dr. Chloe Anderson? Well, yeah, I got a, a slightly different uh, interpretation of what he was what he was raising. Uh, one of the things, there's no question that he alluded to the class divides that existed in the African community. But I think more to the point, I think what he really was alluding to, the whole question around self-hatred, because self-hatred uh, precedes the class. Also, it doesn't matter what you did in terms of your occupation on the plantation. Uh, that this propensity in terms of hating one another based upon socially induced uh, kind of views uh, uh, manifests themselves in terms of how we interacted with one another. So when he talked about the fact that these, 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 these the planter class when you talk about the ability in terms of to innovate, you know, ideas specifically to target our people intellectually, to, to target our people emotionally, uh, he talked about it, he talked about the fact that there, these these strategies were effective in terms of getting our people to question who they were, of their worth in the world, uh, and and by the, at the same token to actually elevate their allegiance to the very system that dehumanized them. So I think that this question in terms of self-hatred was, I think, was, was the, defining, uh, the defining, defining point in terms of understanding how they were able to manipulate us, uh, to prevent us from actually working together in terms of to, to create a condition. The overall condition was, was uh, 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 contributing to, you know, the betterment, you know, of our people. I think also one of the things he talked about when he talked about this in terms of institutions, in terms of these these Western institutions' ability in terms of formulating um, uh, 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 distrust among our, our people, he said that was all predicated on number one, throwing in a sense of community. Of course, one of the things that the brother Anthony alluded to, he talked about in terms of came over came over here as, 
as, as, as different tribes. And, of course, they knew that. That's why they divided the tribes. And they spoke different languages, different traditions, different customs. And they understood that. So that was also very, very beneficial to them. But after, after being here for 100 years or so, uh, the question in terms of communities continue to evade our people. And so, so to a large extent, he credited that with terms of the kind of policies that have been utilized by the ruling class in terms of getting us to not only uh, not trust each other, but not trusting each other makes it impossible for us to actually build. And ironically, when you look at the situation that's going to front African people today, and, you know, one of the things is that the question in terms of community continues to evade us. I mean, we're, we're, we're divided into many, many communities. We've got the religious community, and the community, religious community break down to Christians, Muslims, Jewish, so forth and so on. Uh, a, a professional community, non-professional community, you know, uh, the rank, the 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 the, uh, the the rank and file community, if, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, that also exists. So we have these competing communities that exist in the, in, in the community, but we never seem to understand that we're all in this together. And so, irrespective of terms of social standing, irrespective of our, li- our our position in life, irrespective of all of those esoteric kinds of considerations, the bottom line is that you know we we, we constitute a community, but we have to think in terms of community. But nonetheless, the, the ability in terms of, you know, historically for these, these Western leaders or the Western powers, uh, Western leaderships to, to implement uh, uh, strategies for the sole purpose of making us, uh, making it possible, almost very, make it very difficult for us to conceive a community also exists today. And so today we have a different kind of paradox in terms of, so when we talk about community, many of our people think that community means uh, uh, a see community as those among us who are economically doing well. And we actually think that that, that, community, that wealth was arrived from virtue of our own genius, our own individual drive, our own individual capabilities, not understanding there are people who died, there are people who have been incarcerated, there are people who, you know, people who were murdered savagely, you know, for you to achieve the opportunity in terms of achieving that wealth. But we don't, because we don't have that understanding community, we dismiss, uh, we, we, we don't give any, we don't assign any importance in terms of uh, uh, what the role the community plays in terms of our elevation, you know, as an individual. So clearly, you know, we, we got our issues cut out for us. So the things that the, Dr. Claude Anderson was talking about still persist today. And the question, of course, even in the 21st century, what can we do in st- terms of instilling a sense of community, which instills a sense of trust, which instills a sense of building? We need to do those things. One of the things that our people, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, we can't do a thing because we're powerless, because the system is in place. It keeps us in check. It's not true at all. It's not true at all. To the, to the, to the extent that we are limited in terms of what we can create in society is, 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 is a direct function in terms of how we think. And, and because we, we don't see ourselves as a community, because we don't trust each other, uh, you know, then, we're, then, it's, then it's question in terms of building becomes problematic. So we still got the same challenge in terms of how do we get our people to understand that we're all part of the community. Earning doesn't define who you are as a human being. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, your education doesn't define who you are as a human being. You know what I mean? Uh, the bottom line is that we have to come, come to realization that we're all in this insanity together. And so whereas you're doing well today, doesn't mean tomorrow that you're going to be doing well. You lose that job tomorrow, you know, and you're, you're, you know, and you're, and you're, and you're poor. I mean, it's just that simple. So sense of community, sense of trust, and sense of building, those things that we still struggle with in the 21st century, and, of course, the question remains, 
you know, how do we instill a sense of community over people who are very fragmented and divided? Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, talk to us. Where did you get that video? Sister Eleanor. Excuse me. Um, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson um, really um, is a brilliant speaker, and he really addressed the issues of the uh, behavior of the descendants of enslaved people in the United States. And uh, as Brother Haiki said, there's a lot of healing to be done, and also their education is so important and 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 developing unity. One thing I thought that was interesting when he talked about brainwashing and he used the Korean War as an example, and he talked about seven thousand American soldiers, and they didn't even use uh walls to hold them in. Uh, it was a social manipulation, and he compared that uh, to us doing our enslavement, and whenever there was going to be a revolt or anything happening within the uh, uh, enslaved community, it was one of us that uh, told Master and the rewards that were received uh, for telling Master it wasn't freedom. It wasn't any of those things. Uh, the reward for betrayal of your colleague in a, a prison uh, prison in uh, Korea was a candy bar, and, and and so, in other words, betrayal and how easily manipulated people are. And he talked about the importance of taking care of each other. That that was important. Uh, I think it's important now that we begin to care for our neighbors and care for each other. And uh, and part of changing the masses and and educating the masses to defeat the few, we must begin to care for each other. That's a part of the education strategy. I thought I think it's. Uh, well worth listening to. He's been a guest at Howard University in the past. And what was interesting, Brother Africa, is that his predictions had, um, they've been uh, realized. What he foresaw to be the, uh, uh, what was going to be the uh, uh, new position of, of formerly enslaved people in the United States and 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 demographic trends uh, were quite true. They came to be true. And uh, he talked about people positioning themselves, you know, uh, uh, a decade ago and, and to be prepared. Uh, however, he was on point. All right, thanks, Sister Brother Moses, do a take on this presentation. Yeah, um, he presented, you know, arguments. Uh, 
Rodney King's rather inappropriate response. Uh, why can't we get along? Uh, uh, he's he's intellectual. Uh, he's definitely has his arguments, and uh, I I uh, I really don't have anything to say about it at the moment. Thank you. All right, thank you, Brother Moses. You know, parents, I thought we interested in some of the historical events and dates that he elaborated on how things came to existence as it relates to our history. One of the things we were interested when we were dealing with the slave uh the slave resistance, uh dealing with uh Matt Turner, Demar Bessey, but there was another young man I never heard before named John Hope, where he said he was um African who ended up uh, running to Florida because there's a misnomer about this question running off and get your freedom. When you said it didn't make sense where you're closer to your freedom by going with the Seminoles, going south to Florida, where Africans ha- have a history where they can run and integrate with the, with the indigenous people and where Seminole mean runaway slaves. So you said this whole narrative running off really made no sense. But they don't tell us a lot of us were in the South. And not only that, but the history of John Hope, how he fought against the U.S. Um, against the U.S. then and fought them from Florida all the way out to the western part of the United States. And he never compromised and gave up. So I thought, I thought that piece was interesting. But more importantly, when we look at this whole question, our narratives are told. For example, the difference between this, this, this concept we call a sambo versus uh, Uncle Tom. You know, many of us were led to believe that Uncle Tom was was something bad. You know, it was a bad character, a bad person to um, be modeled after. Well, he said this was a totally the opposite, Miss Norman. Miss Norman. He said Uncle Tom was a man who understood the value and appreciate African women. He would not beat them. He would not undermine them. You know, he would not in other words, oppressed African women. Also, he was one of those who refused to tear on other enslaved Africans. So he was all those things that um, they led you to believe that what he was not. So I thought it was interesting really to get a history that reflect the reality of, of this concept of, of, of time and so question of slavery. Even, even this whole question of, um, you know, when we talk about the Seminoles, you know, I thought that was interesting, you know. Now, when we talk about inappropriate behavior, it's just some examples and some of the things we see historically. How would you all define some of some examples of where we say what is an inappropriate behavior? For example, is it inappropriate for us to to have wealth and make wealth but refuse to spend it among ourselves? So just talk a little bit, some examples from your perspective, Balaki. What would you maybe, maybe if you had to share with the young people today, Behaviors are not appropriate based upon our history. What would, you, what would be some of your examples of inappropriate behavior, Brother Hackey? Well, well, Brother Africa, you know, um, you know, um, I, I think right off the bat, you know, one of the things I, I think is really inappropriate in terms of behavior for our people is a lot of the messages that we convey are very, very um, self-destructive, to say the least. Uh, a lot of times when I look at um, you know um, black black cinema and and, and the messages and the, uh, the 
the how the how the African characters are characterized. I mean, it all seems very very very, very negative. It very, all seems very very nineteen twenty ish. In other words, uh, it seems that we're incapable of resolving the problems of the day, and then we we, we simply or or um, embrace. Uh, all those negative things uh, that tend to destroy us as a people. For instance, when you talk about situation, you know, a lot of these the black cinema have situation where, you know, the the sisters are 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 portrayed as, you know, um, unidimensional, uh, incapable of any serious kind of thought. But um, the only thing they have in common is, is a waistline, a nice waistline, and a, and a beautiful big bu- big booty. And for terms of intellectual thought, it's simply not there. And I find that very, very problematic. And so the, so these movies talk about the willingness of these women to engage with the hustlers in the community to undermine the very community. And so it's kind of message that doesn't help anybody. It certainly doesn't help our people. And so but, net, but yet these kind of messages are, are, are so commonplace in terms of black cinema. And I'm like, what the hell? I mean, what, what's going on here? You know, I... I thought we had those discussions doing, you know, back in the uh, '60s, you know, with you know with Sweet Sweetback and uh, these, you know, in these kind of images, which we thought were kind of productive to the aspirations of African people. But clearly, these these kind of images are coming back with a vengeance. So I think, in terms of inappropriateness, I think it's very inappropriate, particularly in the time when we talk about capitalism decline. The situation for our people are very, very precarious. Now, you talk about, you know, Uncle Uncle Tom or just Jahia Henson. Well, Jahari Henson was was certainly one of those individuals who should be proud of. And so when you and so when so in calling someone Uncle Tom, then understand that it's not an insult when you call someone Uncle Tom. Understanding that this is a brother you know, who, despite great danger, you know, maintain his dignity, did all he could do for the enhancement of African people. Realizing that how he carried himself, what he thought, how he interacted with other African people, was key in terms of the vibe of the people. So he was a very great man, but people don't realize that because we've been we we we've been we've been somehow we've been miseducated in terms of question in terms of this whole question this whole concept around Uncle Tom. But I can tell you, Brother Africa, um, when you talk about inappropriateness, one of the things, um, you know, as you know, as a young man, I I grew up on Sambo. You know, I you know I thought you know, hey, Sambo was one of my heroes when I was coming along. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, Sambo didn't give a damn about nothing. You know what I mean? Sambo was happy. You know, he, you know, nothing bothered Sambo. I said, "Wow, what a what a what a what a great guy!" I mean, wow, nothing bothered him. And little black Sambo, he's wow. I mean, he's the coolest guy. I mean, he's the he's the equivalent of um, you know, of, of, of the of, of of a pimp. And you know, I didn't know. And so to grow up and realize that you know, Sam Sambo was the worst kind of caricature, and to the extent that I internalized that. Coming to the realization that I had internalized a lot of that insanity, not knowing, thinking that what I had internalized was only natural. Uh, so it was only later that I come to understand that the internalization of Sambo um, did have repercussions in terms of how I think, how I see other people, particularly other African people, how I saw myself. Uh, so clearly the inappropriateness in terms of what we do is still relevant today, and we have to really engage in some kind of self-critique when we start talking about you know, what it is to be inappropriate for African people. Uh, you know, and I don't want to come across as sexist, but one of the things is that when we, when, you know, during my time, you know, coming along, you know, as a young man, uh, one of the reasons why, you know, I put great weight on understanding the world as it exists was of sisters. 
sisters who were who, who of the position that if you didn't un, if you weren't conscious if you didn't understand anything about politics, they had no use for you at all. And all of the sisters did that. It was sort of quick, sort of akin to what they did in Spike Lee's movie, um, Spike Lee's movie um, uh, Chirac, where the women had a sex strike, you know, which is equivalent to what they did in, in Liberia, where the women to bring the war to the end, women engaged in sex strike. But a similar situation with women in, 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 in my lifetime, who as, as a young man, you know, coming along in high school and into college, and who were like, listen, if you're ignorant, if you're stupid, if you don't know a damn thing, we're not interested in you. We don't want to hear about how cool you are. We don't hear about how many, you know, uh, you know, uh, how much money you have or how well you dress. That stuff don't don't appeal to us. What appeals to us is your intellect. And so after constantly running to women who kept saying, "Listen, you do you know anything? Talk to me about something that's going to educate me," and I have nothing to say. After no objections, I said, "Damn, you know what? I got to start reading some books here, man, because I'm telling you, I can't even I can't even get a date here, man, unless you know, because all the sisters saying." Listen, you're ignorant. We have no use for you. So I got to credit the women in terms of, to a large extent, bringing me out of that conditioning, a lot of inappropriateness that I had internalized, and getting me to understand that, you know, the more appropriate uh, thought would be to, at a very minimum, to at least understand the world in which you live in and understand your wise things exist as they do. So clearly, uh, I agree, Brother Africa. The question about inappropriateness in the community has to be addressed. And uh, I think, to a large extent, both the class issue and the issue of self-hatred has to be addressed because we can't, if we don't address that, then the inappropriateness will continue. You know, Brother Hockey, you made me think about this whole question of um, people talking about how these, what they call the counterculture or how they have taken hip-hop and, and turned it upside down where they got women um, presenting themselves of everything but what you would call a woman in terms of the sense of decency. Uh, than just jabbering himself all, you know, over the, all over the globe, and um, you know, I thought that was an interesting point you made about you know earlier women understood that was a certain decorum, a certain degree of um, intelligence that one should should display to recognize you know, you know the the the, the beauty of a person and not all this this um decadent. Behavior that you see on these on, on these TVs and radio shows, I think it's a whole question of culture. They have taken that and used that as a means against it against us, particularly um, attacking women women and getting them to buy down through things that's not conducive to the well-being and development of our of our community. Yeah, you know it's interesting, brother. After when you brought up the whole rap video song, uh, song uh, genre. Because one of the things that historically when you look in terms of, you know, um, the, the presentation, particularly when it came to women entertainers, I mean, they were very, very demure. They were very, very, um, very, very circumspect in terms of how they dress. Uh, they communicated something other than sexuality. And it's ironic today that you have these, these young sisters in which, I don't know who's telling them, but someone is telling them that sex is all, you know, that's what you should be about, about sex. So the tightest dress, you know, the miniskirts and the, the, the tight-fitting jeans, all this stuff, this stuff will give you a mass appeal. And it's ironic because people don't understand that we got children, younger people who sit there and look at this stuff and internalize and idolize this kind of behavior and think it's natural. So the implication being that anytime you talk about uh, when you dress like that in a very provocative kind of way, then what you're communicating is that you have nothing to offer other than sex and sexuality. 
And so it seems to me that just as as a woman, that one of the things that if, if you're truly insulted by men coming hitting or hitting on you, you know, uh, at every turn, and it seems to me that your presentation in terms of how you dress is key. I remember one time there was a situation where where the sister 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 told me. Uh, because because the community I grew up in and um, the community, well, actually the community I hung in, in in Brooklyn, New York, a lot of the sisters wore cultural clothing. You know, the, the loose fitting clothing. You couldn't see what they looked like. I mean, you know what I mean? They, it was all loose fitting clothing. You know, you only knew what you only knew uh, uh, about them based upon what they say and how they said it. And that's all you knew. You knew their personality. You knew their level of intelligence. You knew all that. The physicality, you knew nothing about that. And so it wasn't a so your attraction wasn't based on physicality. It was based upon her intellect, based upon what she has to say, what things that she stood for. And so that was key in terms of, you know, uh, solid relationships. So when I look at these young sisters out here shaking and gyrating and all this, and, what, you know, and don't get me wrong, I do understand, listen, you have the right to wear whatever you want to wear. But let us understand that when you do that, there are implications. Uh, the way men look at women, with respectable clothing on versus we look at women who wear tight-fitting clothing are, are, are two different realities. Uh, and that's, that's and part of that is male conditioning. And so it seems to me that if, if, that if, that if, that if, 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 if artists want to be taken seriously in terms of their art, then it seems to me that their, 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 their presentation, which includes the way they dress, becomes key. You would never see Gladys Knight, uh, you know, um, 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 Patty LaBelle, and the most Patty would be was uh, she she wore some costume with that with that boo boo that, that, that French song I forgot was a boo boo whatever it is, uh, like Lachey whatever the heck it was. But anyway, but when you, so you look at Chucka Khan, you look at well Chucka was a little bit different because you you know but but most of these historically even look at these entertainers in terms of their presentation. It wasn't about the, the booty shaking. It wasn't about it wasn't about all of that. It was all about the art. And so I wish it would be nice if, if the young sisters could get back to that. But the bottom line is that in this era of internet uh, and media exposure, it's all about shaking the booty. And so therefore, they believe that in terms of order to make money, then that's what you got to do. And precisely, that's what they do. So clearly, Brother Africa, I, I think that um, you know um, that is really inappropriate. In terms of a community, because because you got children who come behind you, particularly your little girls, who idolize that stuff, who thinking that their whole essence is grounded in, you know, how big the butt is, or how small the waistline is. You know what I mean? Which is unfortunate. You know what I mean? And so, as opposed to focusing on, you know, in terms of those things that are important, like your intellect, your personality, those things that bring value to life. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe I'm just old fashioned, but it seems to me that uh, you're you're absolutely correct. But this with this rap music and, and, and don't give me a side on the lyrics. I mean, but just in terms of the presentation, both men and women, I think clearly, you know, uh you know, something has to change. Brother Anthony, give us your perspective on some examples of inappropriate behavior. And when you say behavior, we talk about collectively in terms of leadership decisions in terms of how we respond to different phenomena that affect our community. Yes. Uh, I, I would add, uh, I concur with for the points Brother Haki made, and I would add that a lot of what we see in the media is controlled by Zionist forces. 
that we had talked about earlier. Not only do they uh, do they commit violence against our people and uh, uh, Palestinians, they also seek to warp our thinking. And um, you know, and uh, I would I would add that because we're no longer in control of our artistic expression, the, the values we express are all negative or mostly negative for the most part. I mean, I, I mean, when rap first came out, when it was a struggling art form, I remember several artists wearing African attire in order to get their message across. People like Queen Latifah, X-Clan, et cetera. But uh, over the decades, now that uh, uh, that rap, uh, that rap has become so popular, uh, you know, it's been uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, our enemy has taken control of it, and it no longer uh, expresses the values uh, of our our culture correctly. And uh, and I think that's why uh, women and men present themselves in such uh, in uh, in such a, a fashion that uh, that everything is about sex. And also, uh, at the time we were, when we were getting when we, we used to uh, from the time we used to refer to each other as brother and sister. Uh, we're starting to use the N-word a lot again, and that's especially prevalent among our youth. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, we have to organize to educate our people that, uh, you know, uh, uh, about, uh, you know, how important appearance is, how important your, pre- your presentation is, especially be- uh, before your own people. You know, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of work we have to do. Salvador, can you list uh, inappropriate behavior as they say our people historically and presently from your perspective? Well, um, um, Dr. Anderson listed several types. One that I thought was important was... uh, in terms of staying in our communities, uh, economics, in terms of economics, he talks about us being economically disenfranchised, and he talks about purchasing goods and services. And when we make it, when we have the money, rather than leaving our community, stay in the community which you you are. Stay with your people. Um uh, support black business and he talked about yeah it may cost a little bit more but look how those dollars circulate within the community and the benefit of that so that was uh, very important um, to, t- to tell us to stop going down the use Detroit as an example and his own mother and how they had bought uh, food from a lo- bought ham from a local butcher and he and he implied that the uh, uh the butcher may have been islamic and may have not known about ham but the bottom line he should have known about bad meat and how when he 
when he saw his mother, 83, getting ready to cook or prepare the meat, he sliced it open and, mm-hmm. and it was literally spoiled. So we we talked about the importance of supporting black businesses, black made goods and services. And um, that was very important. But he also talked about, again, I can only restate it, us caring for each other. Whether that means uh, that if, 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 God forbid, that your neighbor has a, a, a broken leg, make sure that you, you stay with that neighbor or do what you need to support that neighbor to, to mend that leg instead of just acting like, oh, it's another day in the neighborhood, that we begin to care for each other. And that means caring for our elderly looking out for our youth and having uh, some type of self-respect and dignity. And um, he talked about uh, we're 50 years behind the, the, the wheel because um, the, the civil rights uh, legislation and bills that were passed to uh, to right the wrongs of enslaved people have been utilized by other people and the misuse of the word minority uh, that he mm-hmm. described as a loser, you know, minorities as loser. He also brought up um, something uh, as 1706 or 1710, the Willie Lynch uh Story where Willie Lynch was allegedly a person in his interpretation that came up from the West Indies. And Brother Africa, it reminded me of Langston Hughes because in 1929, Langston Hughes published a poem. Uh, uh, it was published anonymously in Langston Hughes's magazine. And it was the Willie Lynch uh, story. And it talked about dividing the tall from the short, the valley people, from the mountain people, the light from the dark, and divide and conquer, and how that was going to control us for 300 years. So it was interesting that he bought it up and the origin of Willie Lynch um, being a person, according to his research, from the West Indies. And, and, uh, of course, he brought up uh, uh, Henderson or Henson, uh, the guy in, uh, who lived in what now I think is Bethesda, Maryland, and how they used the term mm-hmm. Tom to really uh, miseducate us. And that Sambo was the guy that uh, we want to not be like. And uh, it reminded me of the labor movement in West Virginia. We go around calling people rednecks. And the rednecks were uh, was a handkerchief that miners, both black and white, in West Virginia, uh, wore in the early 20th century to identify themselves and standing up against their oppressor. And uh, Eleanor Roosevelt going in to try to divide the whites and the blacks by offering the whites housing and going to leave the blacks outdoors. So. You know, we, we, we use that term often inappropriately. The red neck was that red handkerchief 
that many people wore around their 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 necks to identify themselves as being pro labor and um and so it was it was really uh great to 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 hear that and he also talked about uh, uh um how we're going to heal ourselves um and and he he identified uh in particular brother africa uh it doesn't mean he's not a pan africanist but he focused on the descendants of enslaved Americans, and he reminded these people, African, not to call ourselves African American, to call ourselves black. He said, "Us black people, we have been here uh, longer than 99% of the people that walk around calling themselves American." And he talked about how the Native Americans have. Uh, been assimilated and how they bought up blood quantum to uh, identify and control resources that uh, uh, American Indians, such as blood quantum, if you're not uh, the right amount of uh, Native American Indian, then the man can say there's no more Indians and take the reservation. But more importantly, he he talked about us just being the people who built the United States. And he talked about Washington, D.C. and its history as uh, the center of slavery and and the sale of slaves right down on the mall in the District of Columbia, and that we were the builders of the capital city, the slaves, though not recognized, and how he came back to the district after 10 years and saw that uh, gentrification and immigration had displaced uh, black people and that they were displaced. So it's it's really important, and he's educating the masses, and uh, he's worth listening to. And uh, it's just a wonderful presentation. Hey, you know, since Eleanor listened to you, you, he raised the issue in terms of, how people can take your own history and use it against you. He gave us many examples. But one we were particular was about, what was the brother name that came from England? He came over here not as a not as a enslaved African, but he was a free indenture. But he was able to purchase slaves himself. And how he took um, his case to court so he could permanently own slaves. So the court gave him the right to own slaves permanent. But the Europeans saw that and used that same concept to develop this other greed to that from that point on, there will be no rights. Africans in this country should never be able to have access and enjoy any fruits of the labor that come out of this country. So when we talk the beginning history of the foundation and how they view us, this is the beginning of it. You know, so it's a real interesting you know, um, you know, um, presentation that one can learn. Let's go with Brother Moses. Brother Moses? When we talk about inappropriate behavior uh, historically in the day, uh, would you like to speak to that? Yeah, um, um, I'm not doing too well right now. I'm, I'm going to have to pass. Okay, no problem, Brother Moses. Yeah, so anyway, we thought that would be a good um, 
pizza items if you get a chance. Um, check that out. One note I would like to say that, you know, you know Malcolm State is, you know, is important to know your history. Uh, uh, people are the history like a tree without their roots. Um, I thought the history of the Catholic Church and the Pope had a very important significance because it was the Catholic Church and the Pope. They just outright just declared that they're going to own African slaves and they have the right to own and control and represent us. And that was the beginning of uh, this long legacy of um, this, this whole Holocaust spirit of shipping Africans from Africa to the West for, for the next two to three hundred years. But just the whole fact that, you know, here you're talking about this was the behavior of the Catholic Church. This is what they thought, and this is how they view African people uh, back in the early 1400s. So, you know, we got to be real careful in terms of when we talk about not only the royal institution, but what is that relationship to that particular? How do y'all see the view of the role of the Catholic, Catholic Church and the whole question of the role of, of, of organized religion in general when it comes to the oppression of African people? Um, Brother Haki. Specifically? The African Church specifically? Yeah. Uh, yeah well, uh, yeah, uh, the, the Catholic Church is very instrumental in terms of facilitating the slave trade. Uh, one of the things that when you look at in terms of the, the, the current hierarchy in terms of Catholic Church, you can look at in terms of the, uh, um, the, the Vatican, when you look at in terms of the, the, the refusal to disclose a lot of that very important information that lies in the basement of the Catholic Church, it speaks to the value in terms of the church's commitment to maintain the status quo, which in part means the, the subjugation of African people throughout the world. So, but if in that regard, I think the Catholic Church is no different than other religions. Uh, all religions, uh, any religion that seeks uh, to maintain the status quo is, is implicated in terms of the wrongs committed against humanity. Uh, one of the things I think is probably equally as reprehensive is that when you look at terms of what's happening in North Africa, and you look at these so-called Muslims, you know, who are enslaving African people. Uh, and ironically, a lot of the people that they, they enslave are, are not just African people, but they're also African and Muslim. But they enslave them on the pretext that the color of their skin qualified them as Abbot or qualified them as a slave. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, uh, you know, one of the things I've always tell people, you know, uh, uh, you know, Religion, you know, is fine. I mean, religion in terms of, you know, you know, as 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 an institution is a good thing, but it teaches people to do that which is right, that which is good, that which is wholesome. The problem comes in people's interpretation of religious scripture, and so in that context, people in the Christian world, the Muslim world, the Jewish world, uh, the Catholic world, uh, commit many many wrongs, uh, which are justified, you know, under uh, religious dogma. Uh, in America, when we talk about in terms of the, the rising right, we can't talk about the rising right without talking about the Christian nationalists that exist, you know, in America. And when you talk about Christian nationalism, it's ironic. Uh, you talk about, you know, uh, Christ being a focal point in terms of Christianity, and you're talking about a, you're talking about a religion that's, that's predicated or committed to hatred, uh, to racism, uh, who's committed to, committed to destruction. Uh, so when we talk about class war in America, the people who are pushing hardest for class war have to be your, your Christian nationalists. And how do you justify that? It can't be justified in terms of religious scripture, but it's justified in people's interpretation of religious scripture. And this is the fundamental problem in terms of religion, because you know, uh, you know, um, you know, if you're going to if you're going to go that route into religion, 
then you have a moral obligation to understand all religions. In fact, in understanding all religions, then you, sh- you come to the conclusion that no religion is more important than another religion. They all seek to do the same thing. But the mere fact that religions, uh, 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 a lot of times religions tend to uh, put down other religions or attempt to uh, or attempt to justify uh, uh, oppression based upon religious edicts. Uh, to me, it, it doesn't make any sense at all, and certainly it's one of those real problems in terms of uh, relationship between you know religious institutions and African people. I think uh, you know one of the things that uh, you know when we when we talk about religion, one of the things we have to put things in context. We have to begin to talk about when we talk about the origin of religion. Let's talk about correctly the origin of religion. Let's talk about the role African people played in terms of Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Uh, let's talk about those things. Uh, let's talk about, you know, so so, so for any religion to say that African presence or the African's contribution to religion is absent, uh, to me, tells me that's an individual who does nothing about the history of religion. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, I, 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 I think that that is problematic on some, on some level. And, of course, the resolution to such problems are not easy because anytime you talk about religion, you talk about people's perception, not based upon anything rational. Is merely a perception. You can't debate perception. That's someone's perception. You can't debate that. And so it's often difficult in terms of engage discussion with people who have ideas which they profess to be rooted in religious dogma. Uh, so it's a very difficult problem, Brother Africa. I can't, I can't even begin to speculate in terms of how you go about addressing that other than to say that it has to be, it has to be raised. It has to be discussed. And I'll close with that. Hey, you know, Brother Anthony and panelists, I want y'all to respond to the last point before we make our transition over our final remarks. One of the um, laws that was created in Maryland called the Document of Exclusion in 1638 was stated that no blacks or Africans should be permitted to evolve to be involved in the fruits of the society. This is another example in terms of which they never seen us and view us and said they would never treat us as being so-called American. So the doctrine of inclusion, you can see um, this is just a continuation day in, um, in the 21st century. Brother Anthony, your response to that doctrine of inclusion, what it meant to you, and how should we view that? Uh, we should uh, view that as, as an attack on our humanity, which it is. I don't know whether it's it's still on the books or not, but uh, I mean it's uh, very telling about how the uh, the European settler colonialists that came here view us, and uh, we have to, uh, in terms of uh, you know dealing with some of these issues and resolving them, we have to teach the truth. Uh, from our perspective, you know, of what happened in our history, that is the only way we're going to resolve these problems. We have to, uh, especially our youth, we have to teach them the truth about our history, about the struggles and sacrifices we went through, just as generations that came before us struggled to teach us our true history, and uh, we have to tell the uh, people the, uh, the, the the truth, no matter how painful it is. And I think that's why so many Africans want to escape from it, 
is because it's very painful to deal with our, you know, history and reality. But we have to. Otherwise, uh, we're doomed to repeat certain errors, as uh, Kwame Ture used to say. Okay, Pelajah, well done. We were speaking to African history and inappropriate behavior uh, on today's program. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a rotary culture break. And when we come back, we're going to have our final thoughts from our panelists and analysts. This is Africa on the Moon. Let's get organized. 
Welcome back to the Africa Only Movie Shows, Brother Africa. We're going to make our final transition with our political panelists and this tonight. As we wrap out today's program, speaking on African history and inappropriate behavior. Our final thoughts, we start with our Brother Moses, and we'd like to get his final thoughts for today's program. Brother Moses, your final thoughts. Yes, it's been a good. Um, we have to continue to struggle on all fronts. Uh, um, the political struggle for state power, the economic struggle for better conditions, especially the unions, and the theoretical struggle as to the correct interpretation of our past leaders and the correct assessment of where we are and where we need to go. Um, I, um, I, I think uh, the criticism, self-criticism, and the the, uh, the analysis tonight has been good. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to the, my comrades break down the uh, the various issues, and I look forward to next week. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. We now go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, thank you so much for um, uh, allowing me to participate on this evening's show. I feel there's so much more to discuss. Uh, we we cut it off on uh, Henry bringing the slaves, Henry the Explorer, uh, traveling down to what is now called the uh, uh, Costa de Ora, and and trading with our own people to bring back other humans to give to the popes and the exception of slavery and the onset of of uh, uh, what developed uh, Europe and and the Americas in the 15th century. It was uh, an important conversation, Brother Africa, but there is one thing that was also mentioned. You know, they talked about how a rabbi protects his congregation, how a I-man protects his congregation, but we got these modern mm-hmm. ministers who tell us to turn the other cheek and to forgive and forget. And uh, this is uh, not the way to go. And you mentioned the brother in Maryland who was from England who became a slave owner. And uh, the fact is, by the beginning of the Civil War, he mentioned that 6,500 Africans owned other Africans as slaves. And so this disenfranchisement, this division is what we should struggle and are struggling to overcome today. We have to love each other and we and we have to stand together and we have to re-educate ourselves and educate ourselves to what is important. And I thank you so much for uh having this form. I thank the uh my fellow you and my fellow analysts for uh, your uh, intellectual and enlightening um, analysis of of this uh, Dr. Anderson's um, presentation and his teachings and his books. Uh, It was very insightful and thank you so much and uh, 
I hope everyone is well and has a uh, blessed week. And thank you so much for participating this evening. We thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution as well to today's program. And we're going to Brother Haki and request his final thoughts for tonight. Brother Haki. Well, Brother Africa, you know, one of the real ironies of the society is that wealth is continually being funneled to the most wealthiest people in society. Uh, you know, under Trump, the estate tax actually was uh, pegged to the inflation rate. So the higher inflation and less taxes, uh, the estates were uh, 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 subject to pay. For instance, for an individual who got $12 million in terms of the state, he, that individual was free to pass that $12 million without taxes to his heirs. Uh, for a family of two, it was up to $24 million, uh, was, was uh, legal, legally uh, uh, liable to be uh, passed on without the benefit of taxes. Uh, so clearly, you know, this kind of, um, this kind of uh, uh, policy of funneling money to the, wealth, uh, to the wealthy doesn't bode well for the economy. You know, you know, recently, you know, today, you know, I talked about the $52 million uh, uh, government subsidies for uh, manufacturers, you know, uh, designing computer chips. Now, one has to think, when you talk about $52 billion, what are the implications for the overall economy? Uh, one thing when you talk about $52 billion, you know, for these corporations, then you're talking about essentially what you're doing is undermining the economy. Because what's happening is that not only are these, taxes, these, these, these corporations not going to pay taxes, uh, it's also going to manifest itself in terms of less employment and more automation, uh, which is interest of nobody. Also, when you talk about funding corporations, then you've got to talk about the transfer uh, uh, of the wealth to the rich. So when you, when you create these subsidies, when you create these, these transfer of wealth, uh, the $52 billion that goes you know, from the government, our taxes, which goes to these corporations, the wealth benefit in terms of, you know, in terms of stock options. And earlier when I talked about Nancy Pelosi in terms of her stock options, that clearly it's a no-win situation. So clearly uh, the people who stand to benefit from, from these, tax, these government transfers tend to be very, very wealthy at the expense of all others. And also, not to mention, when you talk about these, these, these large expenditures given to corporations, then you've got to talk about the rate of inflation. And, of course, as I alluded to last week, one of the things when we talk about inflation, we've got to talk about it being a hidden tax. One of the real problems in terms of hopper inflation is that when you get a situation where people don't have jobs or the jobs are so pay so lowly that the tax revenues from those jobs uh, becomes a, 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 a hardship for the government, uh, it speaks to it speaks to the the the, 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 the overall in, impact of inflation, you know, on the overall economy. So when they talk about the high inflation, and keep in mind, essentially what they're saying is that we're not getting the taxes from the people. And the reason you're not getting the taxes from the people because the people don't have any work, and which is directly attributed to the fact that you're funneling billions of dollars to these corporations. So clearly it's as backwards in terms of, you know, running an economy. But the question becomes, in doing this, do the people in positions of power recognize they undermine the economy when they subsidize large corporations? Of course they do. Which means that for us, or for, for, for the masses of people in the society, we got to understand that not only that's going to fundamentally mean less jobs for us, it's also going to mean that we constitute an, an, existential, an existential threat, existential threat to, to the system itself. When you got all these people unemployed who, 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 
when you got all these people who got jobs making minimum minimum wage, you got all these people who can't contribute to the system. It creates an imbalance for the system because those people have to they have to eat, they need shelter, they need education, they need all they need all those things. Well, if you got a situation where fundamentally the economy is being bankrupt by governmental policy, then those people who don't have access to all those things become the enemy. It is very clear that we understand. So when we talk about the wholesale slaughter of African people, we talk about no-knock uh, 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 no uh, warrants. We talk about knocking people's doors down, coming down and shooting people. Keep in mind, all that is justifiable in the context that they understand that in the, as the system declines, that the number of people who are perceived as the enemy continues to grow. And as the number of people who are perceived as enemies continue to grow, the system's only response is more aggression more terror. It's the only option they have. We have to fundamentally understand the situation that we're in. So when I tell you the situation is perilous for people in the society, especially African people, to understand this is no exaggeration. I'm trying my best to the best I can to tell you, listen, this is reality. Now what I need you to do is to do the research to find out for yourself exactly how this how, how, how you know you know how the system the, the kind of system will manifest itself in terms of the population. But in saying that, Brother Africa, as always, Brother Africa, thank you for having me. And in closing, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because that is key. Uh, the bottom line is that the situations that we're going to find with are not going to disappear. They're not going to dissipate. They're not going to become much more gen- uh, uh, um, congenial. They're going to deteriorate to the extent uh, where um, not only we constitute a real threat to the system, but inevitably, the system has to take some response in terms of neutralizing what it perceives as a threat. We got our work cut out for us. We need institutions. We need organizations. Time is running out, and I'll close with that. You have a good night, Brother Africa. You do the same, Brother Hackett. We thank you, Brother Anthony. Your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is uh, we need to uh, intensify a level of organization and political education, especially among our youth. We have to teach uh, our people the truth to the best of our understanding and encourage everyone uh, that is uh, to join an organization that is working for our people's liberation One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. You can find out more about us as well as uh, purchase uh, Brother Bob Brown's uh, book, Let's see the uh, the uh, disclo- we demand full disclosure and digitization of all slavery era records, volumes one and two, and you can do that by visiting our website www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you for having me tonight, and thank you to our fellow panelists and the listening audience. And we'd like to thank you, Anthony, our panelists, analysts, our listening audience, our friends and supporters, allies. 
for allowing Africa on the move to come in your homes this evening where we speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. Remember, this is a weekly radio program under the banner of the African Awareness Association. We encourage all of those who haven't um, yet made a decision to go and make the decision, come and join the African Awareness Association as they take their annual tour, Freedom Ride to Cuba trip this, this January, I mean this July, from July 23rd to 31st. For more information, you can call 804-549-7492 or 202-714-9435 or visit their website at www.aaa.cubacubatours.com. Like always, remember, while information you cannot thank, and without organization, you cannot thank clearly. We encourage you that you love your people. If you want to free Mother Africa and her children throughout the world, if you want to make a proper contribution to push humanity forward, the best weapon you can use is organization. So we encourage you to join an organization that is working for the liberation of Mother Africa and humanity. Until next time, we see you next week, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And we will let you know that Africa is on the move. So we're in with some music of liberation and inspiration. This has been Africa on Move, your host, Brother Africa. We'll see you next week. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word, Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live. So no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom. Take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine needs Needs our love, needs our love, Palestine, Palestine, needs her freedom, Palestine, needs our love, people of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed, plant the seed of love, and let that love seed grow. 
plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Thank you. Welcome to Pilgrim And to the Buffalo Who once ruled a plane Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that Stagger on the coastline In a nation That just can't stand much more Like the forest Buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the hills Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter America 
Superman. Los 
y lo ven en los foros de sabiduría, aunque muchos locos piensen que son habladurías, pero que primero fondo la ciencia mía, para que después hablen como comadre chismosa. Yo te escribo en verso y en prosa, no soy Alice en el país de las maravillas, estamos claros, te portas mal, te acribillas y te hacen papillas, es que eso es obvio. O eres ángel o eres demonio, ni niño. O eres ángel o eres demonio, quiero ver a toda la gente con las manos arriba. ¿Dónde están los latinos con las manos arriba? Que vive el hip hop con las manos arriba. ¿Qué? Con las manos arriba, que viva la cultura con las manos arriba. El deporte con las manos arriba. Venezuela con las manos arriba. ¿Qué? ¿Qué? Sentimiento, sabor, rumba, corazón. La salsa retumba, retumba el tambor. No se te olvide el coroco, recuerda el folclore. Te lo digo el rap, crece la tensión.
fourth land And if you come from Westmoreland, you're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man, you're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You are an African So don't care where you come from press briefing, Jen Psaki claimed that there are potentially thousands of new COVID cases in South Africa. Therefore, she said a travel ban against several countries in Southern Africa will remain in effect. One reporter from Africa was in the room. He wasn't buying it. Objective is. I have to wrap this up in a minute, but Patsy, yeah, go ahead. Patsy, go ahead. Go ahead. Just following up. Just following up. Let Patsy. I just answered. Simon, I answered a question on this. Let Patsy. Let Patsy. Simon. Simon. I answered a question on this. Let's let's let Patsy ask a question. It's not effective to scream over your colleagues in here. Let's let's let Patsy ask a question. Simon Atiba is the man you just saw in that clip. He's the White House correspondent for Today News Africa, and he joins us now. 
So, Simon, do you think you were being disrespected by the Biden White House? Thank you for having me, uh, Jesse. And I'm, I'm so glad to be here. And I, I thought Fox News were for, full of racists and hate black and hate Africans. But here you have me, uh, someone who was born in Africa and covers the White House for, uh, for Today News Africa. Uh, I think that the travel ban was based on a lie. The president on November 26th banned eight African countries. Only two of those countries had any case of Omicron uh, variant. Six of the other countries had zero case of the variant. And let me give you an example of uh, Namibia, one of the countries the president banned. It's a small country in southern Africa, 2.5 million people. In two years, they've had only 400 cases of COVID-19 in the entire country, and they have zero case zero case of the Omicron variant, yet the president banned them. And right now there's total chaos because people can't travel to Namibia, people can't travel to, to Zimbabwe, people can't travel to Mozambique, yet they have zero case. So I believe that I wasn't the one who was disrespected. I think Africa was disrespected by banning countries based on a lie. So the Biden people say the scientists told Biden to slap the travel ban on these southern African countries, and he's just doing what the scientists want him to do. Are you buying that? Or do you think there's something no, more? It, yeah, it, it's a total lie. The way people see it in Africa, the, the scientists, I, I spoke to the WHO before coming here and I've attended all the press briefings of the WHO in the past two years, and I've asked more questions at the WHO press briefing than any reporters in the world. And the WHO believes that the travel ban don't prevent variants. The Gavi told me travel ban don't prevent variants from spreading. Africa CDC told me travel ban don't prevent variants from spreading. So uh, I believe that it was a very uh, ill-thought idea, and I believe that any scientist who says you should ban countries that have zero variant and allow countries that have variants to come to the U.S., it's, it's, I, I believe it's a, it's a bad advice, and, and I think that it seems dis discriminatory and it almost seems a bit racist because all those countries, all the eight countries, uh, black African countries. Can you imagine if the former president, Donald Trump, and I'm not his fan, I disagree with his tweet, I disagree with 150 percent, but can you imagine if he had banned eight African countries and those countries, six of those countries have zero case, zero case of the variant, there will have been an uprising. They will brand him a racist, someone who hates black and hates Africa. And, and yet we, we are seeing it in this administration. So I believe that Africa has been disrespected, and I believe that the travel ban uh, do not really make sense. And any scientist who says that you should ban a country that has zero case and has had 400 cases of COVID-19 in two years and not ban the UK that had 22 yeah. cases and I had uh, hundreds of thousands of people dying in the past two years, uh, cannot uh, that cannot be good science
Well, the theoretical situation that you just mentioned, if Donald Trump had done that, he would have been scorched as a racist, shows me that you, Simon, know more about how this country works than a lot of the people in this country do. Thanks for coming on Fox News. You're always welcome. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Fight, 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 fight,
Right where you are 